0: Hello and welcome to the Tacona Talks podcast. I haven't done one of these intros in a while and I thought it might be something to bring back and where better place to start than with a pal of mine being on the show. Uh, this episode's guest is Al Clark. He is an independent film director is how I'm going to describe him and how he probably describes himself. Has done some very interesting automotive videos that you will have seen, but I'm not going to spoil that for you now. You'll have to listen to the podcast. So, Al and I sat down in my living room for a chat and a bit of a catch up, and we recorded it. That's pretty much how these go. And if you've not listened to them before, you'll learn that pretty quick if you listen to more than one episode. So, without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. So now I've clicked record. Now you've clicked record. <laughs> the work never... last time you had work pop up. The work never stops. That's it, though. That's the way of kind of working for yourself to a certain extent as well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's, um, it's um, you know, you, you're always precious about, you know, only you care about your work as much as you care about No one else cares. Yeah. And that your time is not precious to them. And also, you know, if you're trying to have a structured day, you know, they. you're, you're still behold. It's the same thing. It's the it's the, the vice of the mobile phone, isn't it? Yeah. You yeah. are available to everybody constantly.
0: Well, mine's always on silent. Yeah. Because I have a reasonably good idea of if anyone's going to need me. And if they don't, like, I don't necessarily need my phone to be audible. Yeah. <laughs> try, and, try and, like, minimise the amount of distraction. Yeah. And if someone does call and it's important, they'll leave a message in some way. So I'm kind of like... For my own, like, headspace, that's better. Otherwise, it would just be like, bing, bing, bing. Uh, Just even, like, Instagram notifications. It's enough to be like, got to look. I have them all turned off. The only thing that's allowed to tell me
1: that something's going on is the Domino's app. Right. Which uh, is only purely because I forget that the pizza's coming... Oh, so it's after you've ordered. Yeah. So it can but they're sly, right? though, because the marketing one is on the same notification. So, like, even though you kind of have to have the, the thing on to know that your pizza's coming at some point, they
0: also, like, feed
1: you a little thing, like, well, you know, it's Wednesday night. Perhaps you're alone. Why not have some pizza? Yeah. And uh, it's, so it's a shame because
0: Domino's know. is not as good as Pizza Hut. So
1: it's, it's, I was, I heard on the, it was a Smoking Tire podcast, actually. Matt Farrow, uh, one of it, he had a, a chef friend who unfortunately passed away recently and he uh, was saying that he actually rated domino's pizza because it's designed to travel Unlike, right whilst it's not perhaps traditional pizza like sourdough or some but when it arrives it's the same state as when it left correct and right. it actually hasn't it, it actually hasn't degraded in the box despite being 20 minutes in a in that's a an interesting and do yeah. you it's probably not actually... Uh, now I think about it, I'm like, yeah, the crust always does turn up quite nice, and it doesn't feel soggy, and I'm like,
0: hmm, huh, you may have a point there, which is kind of frustrating, but... This is a tangent I wasn't expecting to ever go on, especially not right at the start. This is, is how that? people
1: need to open podcasts. Yeah, this what is how it's going to
0: be. The pizza ingredient <laughs> mathematics. Um, but, so, you know, we've linked it to travel somehow, so that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I yeah. think before we get too far into our little foray down Pizza Avenue, I should probably introduce who you are. Um, so the, the only question and structure that this podcast has is: Who are you, and what do you do? My name
1: is Al Clark. Um, I am a automotive director and filmmaker, um, which means I, you know, uh, essentially just spend my entire life filming cars or filming people around cars. Um, uh, it's it's been sort of an unintentional. Uh, niche but definitely one that has suited my kind of like love of passion of cars hugely um and i you know despite offers of working in sort of fashion and music and stuff like that which i still have always been intrigued by ultimately i love cars i love shooting cars i love how they emotionally make me feel how they look and generally i find that the people around cars are fascinating yeah you know every walk of life, every story, fascinating. You know it, it, it's it's such a cool thing, and um, you know uh, it affords good travel, and it's 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 a really kind of interesting industry as well in its own right.
0: Yeah. Um, so that's what I do. Perfect. I, I think you've really kind of hit the nail on on the head with everybody's got a really interesting story around cars. Like there's always something kind of unique or exciting or varied there's there's something hidden behind the scenes of every car person's like story yeah and it it's what kind of makes what i do so worthwhile for me is that i like to encourage these conversations and encourage those stories to be shared and that experience helps kind of build friendships build connections create these relationships and ultimately kind of make things like that a little bit nicer and easier for people and that's a real kind of unique thing to the car world there's a lot of ego gets left at the door when it comes to cars mm. like you'll get someone turn up in a million pound like carrera gt and then someone will turn up in like a bond bug and the guy in the carrera gt is as interested in the bond bug as the guy in the Bond bug is in the crowd GT. like it doesn't really matter who you are or where you come from it's the universal language yeah it, it's like a connecting passion for people from where every walk of life
1: and it works around the world it's it's the same you know it's the same language on the other side of the planet as it is on this side of the planet it's not like uh you know you might have the same passion but two people you just can't talk about something or have any interest because you've got two different ways of doing stuff you know the the guys in japan the guys in the uk the guys in america the guys in malaysia the guys in china everyone has their own way of doing stuff but ultimately it's around the same thing yeah and everyone's still excited by everyone else's thing
0: yeah and it, i think that's really cool it, it's such a like a unique thing to exist like there's no other like it's an enthusiast environment essentially mm-hmm. there isn't anything else really like that that has that like level playing field across the board and the universal connector like the car world does like you were just in japan weren't you
1: i was yeah we just got just got back uh-huh. it's it was my first first holiday like proper travel holiday for a long time regretfully and um but we don't count the last three years anyway do we So
0: no that's kind of off the table it's just just
1: removed um but uh the um we were very specific to not do too much car stuff because uh, you know so many of these things you get bogged down with cars and if you spend your entire life doing cars you kind of get a bit overwhelmed and it becomes a bit much but we did manage to get some car stuff in, and we we may have had a very curated experience, but it was still wildly cool, yeah. you know, like nights going out into Tokyo car parks and for the underground meets into like old like original drift spots at Oi Wharf with the most crazy collection of cool cars from the local district and then heading out on the c one uh watching these cars do not. No one was going crazy. No one was doing like 200 miles an hour run or something something like that. But we were still just seeing these cars resonating through these huge long tunnels under the Tokyo Bay Sea. Yeah. And, you know, just watching these proper enthusiasts just enjoying their time and their lives and just keeping the spirit of, you know, I guess early 2000s, late 90s Japan alive.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, It's got such a nostalgia around it, hasn't it? Oh, it does. It was... Like an underground revolution within the automotive world that once that started hitting like Western shores and America and the u k it understandably just was everywhere everybody wanted a piece of that, and it influenced so much culture over here in how kind of like car modifying and that was emulating what you could do over there and There's no wonder that r thirty four skylines are now a million dollars and stuff oh, like that yeah it's 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 it creates as with everything
1: I guess the the you find that for one thing japan so japan appears to have stopped developing in 2005 <laughs> now i call that a good thing or a bad thing but it definitely seems clear that um and from from my friends who live there as well um we talk about it and we sort of say like it doesn't feel like it's really changed because when i last my, my first journey there was about probably about 12 years ago and then i've been a couple of times with work and the yeah. last time i was there was about six years ago or five years ago um, for shooting a commercial there, and the um, uh, it's interesting to see what has changed over that time. But actually, you know, if I took a photo in one place and then went back and then did it twelve years ago, I don't think the photo would change. Right. Honestly, I actually think that it seems to sort of been stopped in time, and that's actually how a lot of people feel about it as well. Yeah. Both culturally and you know architecturally and stuff. There's very very little changes to it, because everything was so impressive. Yeah, they did a then. good job the first time right? <laughs> but fantastic job. And it's been well kept and respected, and it's been just nicely, nicely done. And, you know, the centre Tokyo feels exactly the same, exactly the same. There's yeah. no difference. Um, the only change is the taxis suddenly look like London taxis now. They oh, look right. like the new electric London cabs, but it's their Toyota's own version of it. And realistically, that's it. There's maybe a 1,000 more Starbucks per square metre. Right. Like if you go to Manchester these days, exactly. there's a Starbucks on every yeah. corner. Starbucks everywhere. But um, the cars, you know, in Tokyo, there is not a huge amount of, like, modified stuff driving around, you know, but there is still one or two cars that just cruise around in the cool areas, and you're like, that's pretty cool. But then if you head out... where well, you can actually drive stuff, them. Yeah, and then, and then you start to come alive and see the stuff again. But um, culturally as well, Japan sort of decided that I think they had it as good as they wanted to do it in 2005 and that's that's where they sit. However, you can get Ubers everywhere now and you right. can, all the signs have English on them as well and actually most people seem to speak a certain amount of English as well. So this, the language barrier is very much being yeah, reduced, yeah. which is great. Um, um, whether that's, you know, I think that's even even better reason to go. You know, still it's still weird and wonderful and <laughs> I, honestly, like I couldn't, I still couldn't recommend it
0: enough. Um, it's on the bucket list trips. Like it's, it's one of those where you kind of, right? I've got to do that as a car enthusiast. As well, mm. it's like I've got to go and see that. Yeah, first absolutely, a
1: hundred percent. It's a di- bit difficult to find the events, and you may need to kind of have a few insider yeah tracks which we fortunately did thanks to Kaisel and dino and you know those guys who just i was going to yeah. say
0: i'll just wait for when kaiser going next and, and then just find out like where he's going on, yeah because yeah. he knows the spots he gets invited <laughs> to the place that's isn't exactly it?
1: super super helpful
0: um, um i think those guys went over it was it january yeah auto salon over there yeah tokyo auto salon and i was chatting with charlie b yeah at, uh scramble mm-hmm. and he was like kaiser got invited by nissan and he was like want to be my plus one and they it was like a curated weekend of car events because they all go down for the salon. So there's like an RWB meet and then an underground car park meet and then there's this and then this and this. And it's just like being in Tokyo Drift. It was literally
1: like that. And and Joanna, and my partner, went out as well. And I was watching the videos of... She was sending me videos. She's like sat in an R33 GT... Oh, no, she's sat in an NSX. Sorry, like flinging themselves down the motorway in this tunnel as like a 33 gtr rips past i'm like how are you doing real life Turismo? Yeah. <laughs> when all i did when i went there was i went to like you know a car park and filmed a supercar on a hill and i'm like wh- where was this when i went yeah you know? yeah this is the stuff i want to film this, this, was this, is, the stuff. this cool. is awesome and i'm really i mean again you know it's not commonplace and i'd probably guess you know, being sensible with my sensible head on that it wasn't that commonplace either perhaps back in the mid 90s 2000s just that we still see the same old VHS videos yeah and constantly. I think
0: it was the people with VHS like cameras were just filming the cool stuff because you couldn't do what you can do now and just yeah. go right film a video oh nothing's there film a video. You had to kind of pick your moment a bit more carefully.
1: I was very happy to still see tons of skid marks around the docks on the roads. <laughs> there, there was no drifting going on when we were there, but, but I the, was really happy to see it. I was like, uh ah, something. These are these are not trucks." These yeah, are yeah. Cars. <laughs> the, <laughs> just the, the lines, ghosts of last night's
0: drifting is uh, still present. It was great,
1: um, but um, it's it's you know it's interesting that whilst Japan has stopped in two thousand and five, I think what my i had some friends becky evans and Fraser Macaulay went out to south korea
0: right
1: and they appear to have picked up where japan left off both architecturally and car wise so just over the sea not far away in south korea is where japan perhaps would have gone and that's how they described it and you know the car culture is sort of is now like the, the, the modern version of the Japanese car culture. Yeah. So they're still massively enthusiastic about the modified cars and things like that, and that was really, really fascinating as well. So it seems like there's, you know, the spirit lives on, but it's just just over the just about you know five hundred kilometers away over the sea. Ah,
0: well, it's it's worth knowing that mm. now because you can still go over and see it while it's happening properly, and then Definitely. it's not like the car scene over here that seems to have devolved into aggressive driving on motorways for no reason. So, yeah. yeah, there's a, a weird culture in certain parts of the automotive scene over here that's just like... It's just, toxic. Yeah, it's really aggressive for yeah. some reason. The, the, the idea now, and I,
1: a lot of my friends in America say the same thing, that a lot of people have lost the point of cars. Yeah. And it is not to go and... It's, it's almost become like an outlet of rage and attention-seeking and, you know, I don't think anyone who truly is into cars is impressed by people weaving through traffic with straight arms and, no. <laughs> like, bad music on. And it's just it, it's just not cool. It's not interesting. It's stupid. There's so much better places to do it. Yeah. And I know it sounds like such an old man thing to say it now, but genuinely, like, it's so boring. It's so uninteresting. It's so needlessly dangerous as yeah, well yeah. and I do mean needlessly dangerous in the fact that it's not thrilling it's just pointlessly dangerous it's like there's no what are you going to I mean it's the reward seems so low
0: yeah for we it. nearly
1: died yeah. but in a really stupid way I was at um, Beaconsfield services the other the other week and it was a rainy day and it was there was some meat going on which just seemed to be the FAEM3 m8 mercedes amg local meetup it was it was like 60 pcp rear wheel drive you know like cars like just trying to exit out and kind of look cool and all of them had like traction control on and they were sort of doing like a bit of a launch and a wobble and a pop and crackle and yeah
0: yeah. it was the lamest thing i've ever seen (laughs) it was it was like been influenced by this culture of spotted at car meets leaving sideways videos that are about and it it isn't exciting especially after you've seen one Mm. you've seen that now and there's nothing that you can do leaving a car meet that hasn't been done a million times and that isn't just stupidly reckless yeah like yes we all like the sound of a car but I don't care if you're sideways into a hedge or not and that's all anyone's actually trying to capture is someone getting it wrong no one actually thinks you're doing a good job or that you're cool they're like I hope you get this wrong, and you bin it, and then my video goes viral. Yeah. All that's happening there is, how can I get attention out of a situation?
1: Yeah, and it's arguable with, you know, a few of the more notable YouTubers who make their livings about filming this stuff as they exit car parks and stuff. However... I'm just as guilty because I watch these things and I'm, I'm just as guilty of seeing like, right, let's see what these maniacs are doing outside Brands Hatch. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, having just like gone to a race day, it's not like track days don't exist, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah, let's talk about that another time. But um, the the bizarre kind of need to do like a launch away, which, you know, I kind of criticise it heavily now, but if I think back to myself, when I was younger and more foolish and reckless, I'd probably have done the same thing. I think um, what was really interesting at Wekfest, which was the in Tokyo, which is the one of the sort of static events which we went to, which, you know, the event itself, it was, it was fairly sort of like generic. The cars are really, really cool. But the rollout afterwards where all the cars exit yeah. was awesome because that suddenly the cars are moving and they're interesting again to me because I don't really have any interest in a static car. Yeah, I show. get what you mean. Um, much as so I admire the craftsmanship hugely, it's it's not really what gets me, you know, gets the fizz going. And um, every single person who left exited beautifully, quietly, respectfully, speed limit. There was no need to. There was like a huge crowd of people there. There was barely any, you know, there was one police car that turned up every sort of like hour. Yeah, yeah. No one, no one felt the need to do like a burnout or do sit there on a two-step limiter and you know just. Well, there's a sense of like
0: it's uncouth. Yeah, and it... over there, that's a like a, a big part of like the culture is like not being an arsehole. Yeah, it was just cool to see the cars
1: do their thing, and you know if you want to go and see them ripping, great. I would. It does kind of feel like if I was doing a like an event somewhere that what I would try and set up is maybe, like, a 50-metre concrete sort of runway where people can, if they want to do a little bit of a launch... ...and show off their little... That's fine. Do a little rip in this very, like, controlled space. I'm sure that would be actually really quite popular.
0: I think, like, a certain few car events have, like drift zones and stuff yeah get it out of like, your system before you hit the road yeah yeah like, <laughs> do your donuts do your burnouts over here where there's concrete everywhere you're not going to hit a person it's not on the public road yeah and then when you get out onto the road like you can just leave normally because mm-hmm. everyone's seen your ability to drive your car i think a couple of places have kind of toyed with the idea right i know churro at Petrolism has a burnout stage so yeah they have this like concrete bedded stage that cool. you can sit and do a burnout on and Get it out of your system there. Yeah, and it is quite a bit of a crowd-pleasing stuff like yeah, that. Totally, and that's a better way to do it than everyone piles onto the embankment at the side of the road and hoping yep. nobody gets killed. Yeah. Well, a
1: young lad was a young lad was really hurt the other week. Um, is it by this, that
0: chrome? Yeah, M5? that stupid
1: chrome thing. Whatever. Any car with a four D number plate on instantly, you can tell is a bad <laughs> driver and a bad person. It's just a fact. Um, it's indisputable. And challenge me for it. Send your email to me, and the um, <laughs> do at me. It's fine. Yeah. Um, the uh, but he like the, the ridiculous side of it was like, oh, they were claiming that like, a water bottle got caught under a thing. Doesn't matter. Like, he, I, aside from the fact that that clearly is not true anyway. Yeah. The fact that that whole junction, this, this, you know, that people are known for trying it, and like, it's bound to happen at some point. And it's just that, unfortunately, that was the circumstance where that person did lose it, and that's and one young lad got like hurt, and yeah, the guy came on the Instagram to apologise. But it was what was bizarre was almost more people were sort of saying, oh, "I'm glad you're okay." And, yeah, you know, and I'm like, this guy is the problem. Yeah, and you know just. Oh, that Chill. murderer
0: didn't get hurt at all. We're, yeah, we're all happy crazy. about that. Like, it's, it's such a
1: bizarre. It's a really, really weird thing, and this is the problem with the kind of the toxic nature of a lot of. It's about. It was it's all become about the person and the person like showing off to like an extreme amount. Whereas, I don't. I, I feel like you know people who really, really actually care about it. Just don't have any interest in it, and they'll go to the right place to do this because those people are actually going to have a much better time, be far more impressed, and enjoy so much more the car and actually do what the car is good at. It's I'm not articulating this particularly well, but I I hope people (laughs) at home like get the sentiment of what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah, if you're the person that enjoys cars. there are better places to enjoy your car and you'll have a more rewarding experience from it, from being in the right environment for what the car is for. Like doing a burnout out of a junction is not the best use of your car. It's not very rewarding. You might get a sense of, oh, I managed to do that. And that's about it. It's an ego inflator. Yeah. I think that whole culture is about showing off and getting as much likes and clicks and things. Yeah. And just being seen to be doing something exciting in the car.
1: I'm not also saying that people don't go and have a bit of a rip on the road and go and enjoy the cars on the road and like I do exactly the same thing I go out and have you know if if the site if the roundabout is empty give it plenty you know that's kind of all you know it, it's it, it's not to say you know that we're all perfect and all saints, and it's yeah. And, yeah. and I don't
0: want to even think. But there's that a big, either. big difference between it's eleven o'clock at night. There's nobody anywhere that yeah. you can hit. You can only hurt in any yourself. way hurt yourself, damage your own car. There's a big difference between that, and there are fifty people lined up. And if you get this wrong, someone's life is going to change for the worse. Yeah,
1: and you're bound to push it as well and do a little bit more. And it's the number of. I mean, the sideshow epidemic. Yeah, is. Terrifying. It's it's apparently gotten to the point in the US. Oh, were they where they're closing whole roads down in the middle of the day and- Yeah. I mean to the point where I believe some senator I was told this by an American guy recently and he was saying like there's a point where like some senators are saying like well how do we stop this and someone said well you ban rear wheel drive cars <laughs> <laughs> and they go, oh, is that how we do it? It almost to say it was that simple. Yeah, yeah. But, like, obviously that's insane and never going to happen. No, because but... then
0: all you're going to get is Teslas doing jumps over the,
1: <laughs> the hills in, yes. the,
0: in the LA and some Francisco. Yeah. And then, oh,
1: gosh, it's, we're, in a very, we're in a very strange world. And, you know, I think a lot of people build cars for Instagram just, just yeah. purely on a build basis. And it doesn't feel like they're building the car for any purpose other than to get, like, so they build an essentially unusable car yeah because it
0: looks cool on instagram i think there's a big sense of that and i think there's a lot of people that got into cars and they've lost a lot of their passion because of that mentality as well like i think people's values are towards how much engagement equals how good of a car i've got or how cool i am or Mm. how interesting i'm rather than i've got this car because i enjoy it like i've spent probably an hour over the last two days just trying the different notches on the dampers on the 86 going, I wonder if one notch will make a difference. That's nothing to do with Instagram or whether anyone else sees it. or It's your personal It's reward. me trying to find the better way of that car kind of engaging on a back road. From just up the road from here to Wilton Mill go-kart track mm. is one continuous road that it's a 60 road with a 30 section for about 200 yards. Okay. But it's a really nice bit of driving road. Mm. So it's one of those where I'm like, I've got quite a nice, easy, accessible way to enjoy a drive and fettle with the little bits of adjustability yeah, on the car see to see if I can make it feel better or turn in a little bit better. And that's way more like rewarding than if I put a photo up and it got 400 likes or whatever. Yeah. Like you get an afternoon of, like, oh, I'm really popular today. And then you're back to your normal life again. Whereas with that, I'm like, I've got this ongoing project of, I wonder if this will make it feel any better. or I wonder if that corner, if I take it like this, will engage more interestingly than before. And nobody else needs to be there. Nobody needs to see it or hear it or know what's going on. That's it. I, like, I think ultimately, you know, I always,
1: I've always, i always been a fan of driving far more than I have of building cars and things like that. Obviously, I want them to look cool. And I'm, yeah, you know, essentially just as guilty in the sense that I'm... The person who's on Instagram, also in like using Instagram, and you know, hoping that Instagram is
0: well, there's a, a certain amount of. Um, like if you're engaging with the subject matter, it's going to be pushed more, isn't it? If you're yeah. watching people do this stupid stuff, yeah, Instagram's and I'm just gonna be like, we'll oh, push it. more. Of and it. I'm and I I stand I stand
1: by the fact that I am quite hypocritical in this because you know, as much as we can sit here and judge people for skidding out roundabouts, you know, like I've we talk about you know on motorways where we're driving along you just get annoyed with the person in the middle lane and you just go like a little close to them in front just to kind of like go like hey you're in the middle lane you're in the wrong ruining lane, yeah. everyone's day <laughs> and at some level that's the same thing we're sort of almost part of the problem as well but we've just decided that our level is the right level yeah and that's what we're happy with right and then we judge everybody else
0: and we happy. have that kind of justification of, well i'm Telling this person to get back into lane one, vigilante justice. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm right because I, I'm telling you you're doing the, you're not following the rules. That's it. And then it's like, well, you were doing 77 or something and you're like. Yeah. uh well, we can bend the rule on that one a yeah. little. <laughs> and when I was
1: 20, 25, I was you know skidding round roundabouts in traffic and all that kind of stuff. Perhaps not to the level that people are doing it these days, like nothing like that, to be honest, but still doing it and still equally back then as part of the problem. And I guess everything escalates over time. And, you know, as much again, I'm still going to judge people with 40 number plates to my grave, but, you know, we still did stupid things ourselves and I guess we should probably you know, it, <laughs> we probably planted the seeds that has escalated to what this is
0: now. I understand what you mean by that, yeah. I, I think it's It's linear, isn't it, from mm. a little bit of a skid on a roundabout or overtaking on a B road. It kind of is just going to follow the chain of... The well, escalation. Yeah, yeah. to where we are now, where it's people weaving through traffic in the Birmingham tunnel. Yeah, and so. shutting
1: down huge junctions and almost the idea, I can't quite work this out and I'd be interested to actually see it one day is like, is the idea like these sideshows to actually get hit by a car? Is the idea to be <laughs> as close as you physically can? Because all I see is videos of people getting thumped by actually the trunk of a car. Why yeah, yeah. by a car, yeah. Apparently if you're not doing you're only doing it properly if your like trousers come off when you land. That is so it's, apparently it's
0: almost like uh with drifting where it's to get as close to the concrete without really hitting mm-hmm. it. Or just to just kiss it enough to take the top layer of paint off. Yeah it's like that but with people not concrete barriers yeah, and you're a, and there's a 2 ton object that's trying to hit you yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> you're like how close can i get yeah i mean i, I always put your hand in a sharks mouth but then like you
1: look back at group b and those photos of like crowds yeah. stood in front of you know people doing 130 miles an hour on gravel and they are literally stood in front of them, and you've got like Ari Vatan waving them out of the way, yeah. and you're thinking,
0: "Well, that's where that came from." then. Oh, yeah. that's yeah. So
1: we you know all the guys are like,
0: "How cool is this?" And I'm is, like, "Look yeah. at this idiot; he just got hit by a car." So
1: I mean, we've just basically gone around an entire circle and absolutely negated the last half hour of conversation, and I apologize to good. everybody at home. So, so there let's we go. Back a pizza, though. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it a funny thing, really? Because you know, I think the difference was that was a motorsport event, and. Like, arguably still stupid people standing in front of rally cars. Yeah. But. That's um,
0: why Group B got shut down, it was the danger. Like, uh, Completely. They went, this is too dangerous, for me to stop this now. Yeah,
1: the cars were silly, the, the, the spectators were,
0: like, insane. But I wonder if I'd been there at the time when I'd tried to do the same thing I'd yourself. have been on the track, 100%. I'm like, this is really dangerous, let's do it. Yeah. Like, it's one of those, I think there's a certain amount, if you drive a sports car in any way there is a certain amount of rush that you get from being in a reasonably dangerous situation of, if this goes tits up, it's not going to be fun. But I'm going to keep trying anyway because that's the rush that you get. Mm. So 100% back then I'd have been like, I'm going to go and try and get a photo of this thing full on down the the road and then just run out of the way and fingers crossed I don't get hit by a car. You hear the the famous
1: finger story in the air intake and all that kind of stuff, you know, and you think... That's one story of gosh knows how many.
0: Yeah. Um, um, so essentially, we're, we're all just massive hypocrites and everyone should just discount what we say other than people who drive with 4D number plates are idiots. Exactly. That's that's the one truth that we've managed to pull it's out. The,
1: it's the single point that we all know that it all, it's all bad. And <laughs> I don't even know what my hatred of 4D number plates is, but I can tell you that... I, I think it's an
0: indicator. I, I don't think it's the plate itself. No. I think no, it no. is like an indicator of... This, give this one a wide berth yeah this this person is not in it for the yeah in it because that shit. is a vanity thing yes. the 4d plate is purely for it's the worst yeah look at me the so the person driving is driving for the look at me not for the no. i like driving it's the
1: evolution of the person who had like the weird font on their number plate <laughs>
0: <You> remember <laughs> yeah. like back in the day you see like
1: a comic hands number plate and you're like how
0: yeah what's going Why? on
1: here and you know i'm i'm don't get me wrong, again, like, I know that we have ugly number plates. We have big, huge, ugly number plates. And actually, whilst I'm not a, a private plate kind of guy, I actually am pretty much... I always look at private plates to just find short ones so they can make the number plate as small as possible in the car. I still don't own a personal number plate. I'm not going to mention my number plate then, because it no. is
0: short and it's private. No, but that's great,
1: because that's what I would want to do. I oh, just right, can't okay, justify okay. the cost of them.
0: Mine was 250 quid.
1: Oh, mine... Okay, that's maybe I'm looking completely the wrong. Place
0: you're looking at, like your name, you're looking at A1, yeah, which is the
1: worst as well. <laughs> yeah, everything about what I have is the worst thing because it's um, like A1 is bad. Um, and if you ever want, you know, every um, the problem is with the GT3, you can either have like GT03, yeah, because mine's a 53 reg, so you but, can just skirt that, but then. all the cool lap, all the cool number plates are all like 55 onwards, you know, they're just like, yeah. I always I nearly bought I was very close to buying LA57 LAP last lap that's pretty good yeah cool it it wasn't even an expensive plate and I suddenly realised that my car's a 53 Reg I couldn't put it on there I was like that was was painful the
0: other plate that I want is an O2 which I can put on the Toyota Mm. but I can't put the plate that's on there on anything else Yeah, because the Renault's 1985 so it's a C Reg and that's a T Mm. and there's no point in me putting it on the Skoda run around like people would be like what is that plate on there for? Oh, to be honest,
1: I mean, we saw, I think I've still got the photo. We saw a Honda Civic. It was a, it was an EP-shaped one. I don't know if, it, not an EP3 Type R, but it was that yeah, era yeah. car. And it had the most ridiculous, I think it
0: had a two-digit number plate on Jeez. it. And just, just an old lady driving it. Along, yeah, yeah. You know, Husband bought it back in 1950. What, or whatever. whatever it was, yeah.
1: And, we, I, you know, there's actually, that. there is a subset. There's definitely like a subculture of, cars with extraordinary number plates oh yeah on. i
0: think there's like a whole twitter account for plates worth more than the car yeah because you'll see like a like a honda jazz with like three two one one two three or something you know like, that plate's probably worth a hundred grand or yeah something insane and it's on a three grand honda jazz well one of um
1: there's a, a sterling moss's son um elliot has his father's number plate on, I believe it was a Ford Galaxy, like a Mark <laughs> One Ford Galaxy, which he was perfect. using as his. He owns this fantastic restaurant in London called Plume, and the, uh, the yeah, the, their sort of like restaurant van is this Ford Galaxy because he's was put a, all his money into the restaurant. And insane it was, uh, number plate. This guy has got, got SM one <laughs> on the plate. It's so cool. Oh, it's um, perfect though. Oh, it's absolutely magic. But stuff like that, I think that's such a charm. That's a, That is a really charming. Subculture of cars. Yeah. It's so so weird as well because the cars
0: themselves aren't interesting, but it's just that that combination is the the interesting part. Yeah,
1: it's almost not impressive to see a, you know a Rolls Royce Phantom with
0: yeah a, like three Sugar's Yeah, Lord exactly. That's
1: almost it's just not interesting. It's, and it's
0: give it's a given isn't it you expect it. Exactly. More interesting to see a Rolls Royce without a private plate on. Yeah, because that's a wealthy person that doesn't care about the vanity side. They're like, mm. I bought this because it's comfy. And it goes quickly, and it's private and mm. for the purpose Like when you of see a Rolls- an S class in like not black, yeah. When you see an S class in dark red or green, Oh, that person has spec that car that for person. their taste, yes, not for the resale value or for anyone else. That's it. And I was like, oh, that's very, very cool. But you know, no one's going to shout about it on Instagram. No, I, no. You know, that's the. Uh, well, I had um, Joe Achilles on recently, mm. and he was saying that he did. One of the videos he wanted to do was, I think it was London to Madrid on one tank. Okay. Which you can do in a 730D in like base level trim. Yeah. On 16 inch wheels. That's interesting. I used to be up to 800 miles with my 730D. So yeah. he approached BMW to go, can I borrow a car for a week to do this video? And BMW had none, no press, no stock, nothing because nobody is specking a 730D in base level trim with 16s. Of course. So he had to buy one. There was like four in the country. <laughs> what? <laughs> put his like house deposit into it, bought it, did the trip, and then sold it again. And I was like, there's probably three people in the whole country that would buy this car. I was like, yeah, unfortunately, I managed to find one, sold the car again, wow. made the video. But that was like a car that was spec'd for someone with a specific, I just want something big and comfortable, mm-hmm. and I don't care about anything other than that. Yeah, rather than someone that's buying a seven thirty oh, M Sport and big wheels and everything, that's but nice. he's like it's the only way to get them as economical enough to do eight nine hundred miles. Is to yeah, have in that I, trim.
1: I had a the, the the Chris Bangle one, which was was E sixty five right spec car back in the day, and see a seven thirty D, and I had just um, got out of a. I think, I can't remember which way around this was now, I think I'd had a three-litre petrol X5, which was a terrible engine decision. And either way, that did about one mile to the gallon. And this this being that, I don't think I filled it up ever in my entire life. Honestly, I had it for like five years and never filled it up. Um, It was, I say five years, five months. It was not long at all. But it was remarkably
0: miles per gallon. Well, that was a car built with German Autobahns in in mind, really, wasn't it? It was... We're going to make this efficient because then people who want a big comfy car Mm. to go long distances will have... Something that they don't need to stop every hour to fill up. That car was actually a really good car. The thing that let it down the
1: most is it was that very kind of like awkward period of time, I think in two thousand and three, two thousand and four, where they hadn't banned talking on mobile phones, but the car had like a car phone, but it didn't have Bluetooth. Yeah. It didn't have you know, it was it just had like some technology, but it was so integrated into the car that you couldn't you couldn't update it it at all. You know, putting a Bluetooth module in was virtually impossible certainly
0: back in those days and it wasn't like it was a standard double din that you could take it. it was a full integrated into the dash that yeah. first early iDrive and all that kind of stuff oh god and that must have been awful
1: <laughs> no it wasn't fantastic and you know you ended up just burning CDs to listen to CDs in the car it was crazy <laughs> <Did> you, <laughs> you get one
0: of those little FM transmitter things for yeah, your yeah but the
1: CD you know CD quality they, is better
0: and that's where you've got a proper stereo
1: I've got a little FM transmitter in the GT3 because for some reason um, so for those at home I have a 996 GT3 So it's the very old, you know, interior and it's got a CD player and I have uh, an FM transmitter in it. But just the nature of it, you've just got this worry, noisy, fuzzy sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if a lorry
0: goes past, it yeah. sometimes interferes. So it's
1: completely it's completely pointless, really. But it just means you can have something off your phone in there.
0: Yeah, you can put a podcast on or something if you really want to. Porsche have
1: released a new head unit, which I'm going to put in at some point. Oh, that will
0: in retrofit into the 990? Yeah,
1: it's, it's yeah. a Porsche design. It looks like the OG unit as well, which is fantastic. And I will get onto that at some point, but... I just have, you know, the engine's got the noise.
0: Yeah. It's, I barely listen to music. Well, I was sat sorting all these orders out and Grace was like, I think he's here. I can hear something coming. So Some <laughs> Which is how she knows when I get home as well because the 86 you can hear from like the entrance to the estate because off the roundabouts it's a 60 yeah and then if you get a couple of nice downshifts to come into the estate it's like he's back I can hear him <laughs> <laughs> he's arrived yeah. the fanfare has happened um, but I, I'm always really conscious because of where we live there's just houses around mm-hmm. I try and crawl through as like quietly as possible yeah you don't shit on your indoor step. but then again it's like 6 o'clock in the morning I'm off to Goodwood bah, and the cold start I'm like I, I, there's only so much I can do here. <laughs> the, um, the, the, the cold start thing is one of
1: those, uh, you know, I sort of hang, it's, it's one of those things that it sounds so cool, but actually you're you're so, become so self-conscious yeah. as soon as you realise that you're the only one enjoying it.
0: And the worst bit is when you turn the car on and go, oh, I need to get something from inside. Yeah. And then you get to hear what it's like from inside. You're like, oh, I'm such a knobhead. Yeah. Everybody around here hates me. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Fortunately, I i only have one parking so sp- i live
1: in an apartment but my my um my parking space is underground so i can at least start the car and not make too many noises because like the the f12 is the loudest thing in the world yeah. when it does cold start um and my old uh e63 was incredibly
0: loud as well <laughs> Sound, I mean, they sound sick, but at the it same sounds time. Sounds great, but you just know nobody else is interested. No one else end. is interested. Yeah. It's like that we would say nobody cares about your work as much as you do. Nobody cares about that car sound exactly. as much as you do. At <laughs> yeah, <that laughs> moment. it's not like someone waits up and goes, oh, wow, the F12 started. Let's go yeah, yeah. listen. Opens the window, cranes the ear, you know. We had the exact opposite. So we lived in a flat in South End for about a year. And I was the only person that had figured out how to access the underground car park because mm-hmm. it didn't come with a fob or anything. You basically ah. had to park on the ramp, go inside and open it from the inside. And as the only person that really gave a shit about their car, I was the only person to use it. And the guy whose flat was above the entrance to the car park was like a real like nitpicky, like really anal about everything mm. and a bit kind of on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So he really took offence to the noise. So every time I'd come out, there'd be something on the ramp or he'd gone down and poured shampoo over the car and stuff like that. Just to be not damaging, but annoying. Yes. To try and discourage me from parking the car. Rather than just speaking to you. Oh, no, he confronted me. Oh, okay. (laughs) I am not the best in a confrontation because I'll just be like, I don't give a shit. I'll fuck you up right here. And they're like, whoa! (laughs) Like, like, let's go. I'm not scaredy. And um, so it then just devolved to him trying to do annoying things. Yeah. But he would just do it with his own stuff. So I really couldn't get my head around it because like, he put a clothes rail in front of the car. I was like, well, this is your clothes rail. But now you've left it somewhere where I could go, oh, somebody's left some rubbish. And That's I just snapped weird, it. Because he put his phone in the window. So if I wasn't parked on the ground, the car park was like round the back. So you right. could see into the car park from his flat. Yeah. So he'd put his phone in his window and then come down and have a go. Right. And I I was like, I know you're filming this, so I'm just not going to do anything. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to get in my car and go. And then if there was something out in front of the car, I could see that he was filming me and watching. So I'd make a, a scene of whatever it was, like breaking it and go and put it in the bin. Was this the 86? Yeah. So, hmm. and it, it's not the loudest, but no. it's not quiet because it's got a cat-back exhaust on yeah. it. And I was just kind of like, I don't know what you want me to do here. Uh, the cars, the well, it's car. It's not like right? you're revving it. Presumably. No, I was literally right. just starting it and I mean, then going to yeah. work.
1: It's it's a hard. Th- I mean, my friends uh, will berate me for the rest of the time about uh, an incident. I call it an incident. A very sort of like it was about it was about eight weeks of this. I lived above the entrance. My previous apartment lived above the entrance to the main underground car park that everyone used. Now I am. Uh, my bedroom was right over the top of the on the exit and I am a window open sleeper right you know like it a bit cool I like it fresh air as cold as humanly possible that's you know it, it's it's just how I sleep best and for some reason one morning this lady started beeping the horn as she exited and I heard it a couple of times and it woke me up and it was always at like at 6.45 in the morning oh. and I was like, that's weird. That's a, like, what are they beeping for? Anyway, this started happening. I, I started noticing it like constantly and every single day. And I then got to um, the point where I was like, and th- by the way, this was not like a beep. This was like a beep. Like, beep. Someone know like, right. like three seconds on the <laughs> horn, which was ridiculous. And so I looked down, I sort of... I started getting, like, up in, like, an adrenaline shot to get yeah, to the yeah, yeah. window and see, like, what car is this? And I saw it. I was like, right, it's that little Peugeot down there. So I wrote <laughs> a, st- a sternly-worded letter. I just wrote, like, like, a letter that was kind of like, hey, would you not do yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> like, because my neighbour above, as my neighbour opposite the road as well... Had, the, had also noticed this person. And it was he's, his window also faced 6.5 out. 6.5 you two are having a conversation across the we street. We saw like, each other going out of the window going <laughs> yeah. like, what is this, what are Like sort of waving at each other. And that was actually how we sort of met each other because we both looking out the window like, mm. who is this person? Anyway, I wrote this letter saying like, hey, look, please stop doing this. This is, I don't know what you're doing. This is ridiculous. And, um, and uh, 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 like if you, if you do stop it, people will stop hating you. Like you know, yeah, just it was sli- slightly passive aggressive, but the British way. The British way, and um it didn't stop. So I was like, so then I was like, I went down like three days later. At the, t- I knew she was going to. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was literally stood there. And I ambushed this woman, <laughs> and she was like pressing the horn. I was like, excuse me. What are you doing? She says, like, well, I can't see out. I can't see over the steering wheel, so I can't. So I'm making sure that people know I'm here. And this was my (laughs) advice from a policeman at the police station because she'd gone to ask to get like a mirror put on so that she could see out of the junction. So you sort of come up this ramp onto a, you know, onto the road, and she saying that she couldn't see out, and she'd had a couple of near misses. Now. I use this ramp also every single day and I had never had a single problem at all because yeah. you look a little bit further down you wait you use all your sensors and just common sense to work out there's a car coming like put the window down anything just <laughs> any sort of you know like thing to help you that you know would have made it easier but she had been told her advice was I was like can you not Imagine how annoying it is every morning at three 6.45 in the morning to hear a three-second horn beep, especially during the summer when everyone's got their windows open. I said, like, you know, I work late. Why are you doing this? And, like, my friend over the way, his wife's a nurse who does like, night shifts, and she's woken up by this stupid yeah, horn yeah. Thing. And this woman just couldn't get her head... She was like, but that's what I've been told to do. And I was like, but have some common sense yeah. think about it and I I was kind of a bit inc- she did actually in all fairness to her seem to stop after being confronted by this after sort of being told, like, think about it beyond your world. Yeah. yeah. You are no longer the main character. (laughs) Think about all the non-player characters around you and how you're affecting their lives with your car. Someone's
0: going to come and cut your brake lines if you don't pack in like It was, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Someone's going to have an irrational thought at that time in the morning and it's not going to go well.
1: Exactly. And to the same point, you know, like, as I kind of realised that I was also... A noisy car exiting these places i would wait at least until the cold start it only takes 30 seconds for the yeah, cold start yeah. on a warm day to 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 calm down i just waited for that which to, is probably better for your engine anyway it, absolutely but it you know i've never had so i've never had someone like talk to me my neighbors have mentioned I mean, the fact that the car sets alarms off and stuff like that when it starts yeah if i'm which, too close to someone it all it'll do yeah. that as well but you know, these are—I don't know what else to do. My cars don't have—they're not loud. They're all stock. Generally. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're not particularly um, like the the AMG was stock exhaust, the F12 stock exhaust. They're just—they're just loud, loud cars. cars.
0: Yeah. But there we go, cars. We've managed forty five minutes of not talking about you or what you do. Oh, I'm sorry. We've That's been like really topically like, <laughs> talking about the car world. Which is great. But I've got a feeling a lot of people have probably started listening going, Oh, that'll be really interesting to learn. We should talk about films. films and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> We've just gone oh, some people can't drive, can they? <laughs> yeah, wow, yeah. I mean, this, um, is, this is this is cars, though, you know. But the, the, mm. the thing about what I do with this is it's not an interview. I'm not coming here with a, a an expectation of what direction we're going to take. Like, the whole idea is, let's have a chat. Let's see what happens, see where we go. Some people really like that. I think some people probably wish there was a bit more of an interview to it. A structure to it. But I'm like, well, ah, that's not how I work. I apologise to those um, people. You don't need to apologise to me at all, or to the people who are listening, because they should know by now. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is how it goes. And I've had a few conversations about, like, I think I might have ADHD, and this is a very, like, typical example of someone with ADHD going, "Well, we'll just go off on a tangent, shall we?" But can people happens? can talk
1: about anything. They'll suddenly yeah. realise that you all have the same, and exactly as we said at the beginning of the podcast, we all have a common interest somewhere, yeah. and there are parallels all across it. Yeah, exactly, and. You know, even in my work, again, going, you know, trying to sort of steer it slightly back to that is that, you know, you have a remarkable link to everyone in the industry who's interested in the car world. and yeah. Everyone talks about the same things and it's great.
0: Well, let's lean into that. Mm. So tell me about how kind of how you got started doing what you do. because you, you said it, it wasn't a linear expectation. Not at all. Uh, I didn't um, in a very, very long
1: roundabout way. I worked in the music industry. Um, I worked for uh, a synthesizer company called Roland and I had for six months an amazing job where I met incredible, famous, wonderful people and for six months it was honestly like... I dropped out of uni slightly early. I, the course was a disaster that I was right. worth doing on and the um, uh, whilst I enjoyed my friends at uni and the sort of the environment the actual course itself was was just killing me it was so uncreative and, and boring and just I hated it uh, got into the music industry did six months of like really cool going around help setting up synthesizers for people at concerts and things like that and then they changed the business into like an, as, an administrative role they kind of like had to pare things down a little bit and right. sort of simplify things and unfortunately because I was the one who was better with the computer my <laughs> Colleague got to be the one out on the road doing the setups, and I was at home admin in the basically. office doing the admin parts so, side of it. Still, kind of like setting up bits and pieces, but not going out to do the job, which sucked. And I thought, like, why can't I at least? Anyway, it was just the way it was. Maybe I don't know. He, he was he was good to be fair at his job as well, but it annoyed me because I thought I've just gone from a really cool job that I signed up for to a job that's now sat in, a, in an office. So I quit. Best thing I ever did. Just wasn't enjoying it. I didn't have a plan. It was quite scary, but I did it. But my manager, one of the big kind of like confirmations that I'd done the right thing was my manager sort of quietly said, you've definitely done the right thing here because I can see that you're miserable. Yeah. So without a plan, I looked at a few other things and I looked at other industries that I've um, wanted to do. But one of the things I'd always wanted to do since I was at school in the cadet force was join the RAF and fly planes. I wasn't in the RAF, but I actually because you don't really do much flying as a cadet, as you can probably imagine. The <laughs> they're, army they're side, not you the keys, uh, are they? The army side was more appealing to me, but I, I did actually want to become a pilot. And I thought, do you know what? It's a bit of a pipe dream, but let's go and see if I can make that work. Um, as it happens, it turned out I was <laughs> after eight months of going back and forth to Cranwell uh, too old by a <laughs> tiny margin by days less than a month um and it was it was quite a quite a brutal you know shock to sort of go like this is i'd sort of re-prepared myself mentally for my life for that and my mother had who was really not a fan of the idea of me going potentially to war and stuff like that um despite how relatively safe flying a jet is um but it was frustrating because i'd passed the tests and i'd done really well in my um, sim test as well My, I, I nearly failed on vision but my vision, not due to my vision being bad but the fact I couldn't keep my eye open for the bright light, I just just scraped it, I was yeah. absolutely on the edge and that's just where you have to look into a bright light and not shut your eyes right? because if you're flying towards the sun or whatever you're doing anyway. so I, I really got into a, a nice kind of mental space with that and I was really excited for it and then told at the last possible second um, that you can't join because you're a few days too old. And they couldn't make an exception for it because at what point do you make the cutoff? Yeah. It's fine. It is what it is. I've made peace with that now. But um, I kind of left that going like, well, that was really what I actually wanted to do. I'd sort of gone like, this is what I want to do now. I, yeah, that's you put that yourself it. into that. Yeah, thing. yeah. And... I didn't want to do something boring. I didn't want to go back to an office job. I I despised the office. It was just soul sucking. And after a few sort of like other looks at other things like civil aviation, which didn't really have any interest in um, and the stuff like that, I knew that I wanted to sort of do something that involved travel or seeing the world and do stuff. But I didn't have a particular way of figuring that out. But... Um, the creative side of it was that I wanted to do something that felt appealing to my hobbies, which were like, I, I enjoyed essentially watching Top Gear, yeah. which was very, I, I literally owe a lot of it to that. And I loved driving. So I kind of thought, well, can I combine the two together? And I thought, well, let's try and film some cars. And this is, this is a very long time ago now. So we are gopros didn't exist yeah um i bought a little um uh, set of little cameras and my idea was i was going to film track days right for people and sell their driving in car driving videos on dvd a lot of like people get used to get dvds of their photographs and stuff like that back in the day um, nowadays obviously you just upload it or just get it off the you know drop, Dropbox, drop whatever back then it was they would burn a dvd for you of your car and you pay like 15, 20 quid for it. Yeah. And um, it was the same with the filming stuff. i just upload that file, put it onto a little DVD for them and send it out and people would pay pretty good money for it for for the camera for the day. But um, then I bought uh, an actual camcorder style semi-professional thing and started filming the outside of cars as well to sort of like spice up the footage
0: yeah it's not just here's 10 minutes of your steering wheel exactly of your worst laps on your track day
1: and the uh, long and short of that was I ended up filming a racing driver uh, called Ben Elliott who then said well would you like to film a promo film for me and so I filmed a promo film for him I then filmed uh, something else for him and then someone else said oh do you want to would you be interested in filming uh, a, a, like an early review for Car Magazine when they were just sort of starting to do video reviews and I was, yep. like, I was like, hell yeah, and that was my first sort of like proper paid job Oh nice um, and I kind of started off, my very first job that I filmed was a Bugatti uh, uh, Veyron Grand Sport Vitesse I think that might be right, it was the convertible Grand Sport, so it was quite, right in at the, the fastest, best car yeah. in the entire world at the time. And that was quite, a, quite an amazing... It's a way to start, isn't it? That? Incredible, yeah. And CETA really kind of... We travelled down to the south of France. We were there for the Cannes Film Festival time. And it was, it was just a remarkable trip. And I think that was the real snowball starting of where I was like, right, this is what I now want to do. Yeah. This was the fruition of a couple of years of learning how to make videos and messing around and struggling to put petrol in the tank to get to brands hatch to film track haze and stuff like that. And this was this was the the moment was like, right, this is a job. This is cool. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the internet was quite emergent, the um the, the, the YouTube hadn't really got the domination that it has. It was still viable potentially for people to visit your website and look at your self-hosted videos rather than just having a YouTube channel. But um, very quickly after that, you know, we were right on the edge of that moment where YouTube was becoming just the place to go anyway. Um, But, you know, that was a a very, very much a case of being in the right time at the right place and meeting the right people just when this technology was really becoming accessible for the people at home. And I think... uh, You know, if I'd been two or three years later, it might have been a very different story. Mm. And two or three years earlier, probably a different story as well, because I would probably be going into the the decline of traditional filmmaking and would have really struggled to enter that industry as well. So
0: I owe a huge amount of it to timing, which is... Quite ironic, given that the reason that you weren't doing what you had originally planned was due to timing as well. Absolutely. Like it's, it's You lost out on one end, but gained on the other. The poetic justice of life, yeah.
1: It's it's very interesting, the whole butterfly effect of following everything back. I, I love following back.
0: I love doing that as well. Yeah,
1: it's fascinating. Yeah. And everyone's lives, you find these pivotal moments where... You know, and you think about the omniverse and the universe kind of th- and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, but it's beyond what the scope of my real understanding. But I still love, you know, thinking like, well, if I hadn't done that, I yeah. wouldn't have done this. And if I hadn't have met that person, if I hadn't have said yes to this or sometimes no as well. I mean, if you say no to stuff, you'll never know what we, we could have come of it. But there was some stuff I very deliberately steered. I, I didn't do weddings. Yeah, I didn't do. Corporates, I didn't do stuff like that. I was just cars. Yeah. Because that's all I want. And I knew that if I stick with this, that's what you'll become known for. And it was quite painful for a long time, as all the sub, you know, fledgling businesses are, especially when you're a single person doing something that hasn't really become a job yet. The videographer name was kind of emerged out of, well, it's not a photographer. So what are you? Yeah, and it's,
0: and it's not quite
1: full filmmaking. It's exactly it's doing what a photographer would, but actually video. Exactly. You know. Filmmaking at that time had a much more high-end connotation to it. Like, you, oh, yes, you, you're a filmmaker, darling. You, you do yeah, you know, documentaries what, about...
0: What film festival are you going to? Exactly. <laughs> oh, where,
1: where can we see it? You know, yeah. oh just delightful. Have you met this person? I've got a script I want to read. It. And yeah, that sort of stuff it was just kind of not associated. And I was filming Drifting, which I loved, and um racing and which i loved and suddenly i had a job in an industry behind doing all of this kind of stuff which i always was the person going like i wonder how what it's like developing a car and i was suddenly was like in a job filming this stuff yeah, yeah. and it was unbelievable i loved it and it's carried me it's developed a
0: lot since I started. Well, there's a big, big difference between filming some drifting at a track day and the message that you were sending today, which was talking about the music playing as Max Verstappen is getting out of a car. Like, yeah. There's quite a difference uh, to those two scenarios, isn't Yeah, it?
1: exactly. We, we, it's, it's evolved now. So, uh, you know, I don't film nearly as much as I'd love to, but I, bet I I haven't picked up a camera really properly for quite a
0: while. I've done a few bits of filming recently, but... It's the same with any kind of role. As you get better, you then end up having to delegate the more manual tasks to others because you can then steer a bigger ship. Like you can go, right, I don't need to think about which camera I'm going to use and then which audio file and this and this and this. You can go, right, I want this shot, this audio with this subject. You're going to do that, you're going to do that, you're going to do that. And that way you can have more. You can have a bigger reach.
1: Absolutely. It, it definitely helps having played the role of all of those at some point as well, because I think it's a really crucial thing. As a director for me, you know, being clear to your crew is essential. It's one of the most important things. And I think you know, a little bit of that comes from the military side. You know, Kind of that, that sort of very clear, concise... Yeah, um, you know, as efficient very, as possible with what it, you're trying exactly. to do Exactly, well. be really kind of like definitive about your opinions and stuff, whether they're right or wrong. Um, but also understanding how the editing process works and having been filming stuff as well myself is that you can be expectant of what you want. You you know, a lot of directors apparently will say they want this without really thinking about how that's achieved. Um, There's a certain amount of, I know I could do this, so I expect you to be able to do correct. it. Correct, and it's it's the same with the the driving side of it as well. You know, we quite often have... And again, you know, I try to be as clear as possible before we do something. But sometimes people just don't have the, you know, you need the driving precision because you've often got people's lives in your own ha- in their hands. You know, if you're flinging a car at 150 miles an hour towards a human, yeah. there needs to be an extremely... It's not the Bronx. Yeah, exactly. We need to be extremely clear about what's going to happen and where that person stood and you know, they, they get, everything steps up, everything kind of like gets, gets more serious as you go on. But I have, you know, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the process and it's, I'm, I'm unable to just do one kind of film. I need to be variable in my output. I cannot I, very, very quickly. I was feeling, if, you know, back in like 2014, 2015, I was just, a factory of just making the same film over and over again yeah and um which is actually one of the the things that really kind of like started to get me quite depressed with the work as well but the um the the, sort of like to go and film a car is actually quite a hard thing you just think oh well if you've got on the camera you know go and film a car (laughs) if you think about that to go and film a car you need you you need if you want to film a tracking shot you need three people you need a person to drive the car you're filming yeah. yourself and the person to drive the car that you're filming from at that point you need to trust the person that you're was driving your car because you know as silly as it sounds like people fail, you know I, I know so many stories of people falling out of cars like i have been personally in car crashes whilst filming cars like right. big head-on crashes in italy um and On an official job, by the way, as well. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: not just you and your mates. No, exactly.
1: And, you know, when we do, you know, when we try and film tracking shots properly, we have road closures. And if you're trying to do that on your own, it's very, very difficult to do it. It's, and then you've got the fuel, the timing, the weather, the everything, the car, you know, and I just don't really have the interest to go and film a car for the sake of going filming a car. It's... it's there are way more talented people who go and do that kind of stuff, yeah. and they do it far better than I would, and it feels like work, and it doesn't feel like you're not enjoying creative it in some way. Yeah. which
0: is weird because it's kind of exactly what in my head I thought I wanted to I do. I imagine when you started you'd be like, "Oh my God, this is the dream, and then once yeah. you've kind of got to that milestone, you're like, right, what's the next milestone yeah. and I, there's probably a point where you've established your, your capability and you're confident enough in your like knowledge of what you can do without having to think about it that you can go right i just want to try and do stuff that i've never done or i've no idea what to do and learn that process and there's probably a point where that becomes more interesting than the actual subject matter pushing yourself
1: creative creatively is one of the most rewarding parts of the job and it's you can consider it problem solving in some industries and a lot of filmmaking actually is just problem solving um you've got to be clear about what you want but how you get that shot is half the fun yeah and um you know these days with social media the way it is your opening shot is usually your your hook it's it's the most important part of everything and so you've got to try and think like well how do you open this film in a spectacular way that just make just holds people for two seconds you know what is the what is the thing that it's got to be enough to yeah. grab that attention. The attention span now...
0: It's like seven seconds. It's or less. It? Yeah.
1: You will not believe now. So it is now considered about three seconds on Instagram. And on TikTok, one. Wow. So you are essentially a professional scroller stopper. Yeah. If you're producing, and I use the air quotes for those at home, content. <laughs> um, the, there is no real secret source to going viral. Um, you can put in a few of the right ingredients and hope for the best, but, you know, a lot of people um, go, well, the numbers aren't great for this film, you feel very depressed by that. But it's not really your fault. You can have...
0: Yeah, there's no formula to, to get in a video to explode. Like, you can put hours and hours and hours into working on something, or you can upload some dash cam footage. And it's like yeah. you have no idea which thing is going to just grab the right amount of people and get so the, the algorithm on side. Exactly. You are, you are beholden to the algorithm. And there is not
1: really a lot you can do about it. Uh, and quite often the most expensive and hard work films I've ever made have actually been the lowest viewed. Yeah. Because they're quite, I mean, they get used in different ways. And, you know, you can't just look at your YouTube numbers because a lot of my stuff ends up in dealerships or on airplanes or lounge, you know all events and stuff it's yeah. it, and some of it's for internal use only and there's there's it's it's all, for all a purpose of, outside yeah, of hundred yeah. percent and you don't get the tv numbers and stuff like that but you know ultimately when you do have a tangible number like your youtube view count on an account then you go like well that's my measure of success and
0: it's a um, very direct like this equals this this it's, equals it's, it's this. really yeah. easy to hold that as is accountable exactly it? and at one in the spectrum you know i did
1: uh we did a quite a big film for bentley it was a lot of money a lot of resources we worked really hard on it as well you know like a lot of really late nights we really pushed ourselves both budget-wise myself and my producer Bryn, really kind of pushed ourselves in you know to make that work and creatively it was really interesting but, you know, it's probably, I haven't I can't even remember what the views are, but it's probably 50,000 views or something like that, you know. And it was a 200 grand job. Whereas, you know, for less than half that money, you know, we shot a Bugatti Chiron doing 250 miles an hour, and it is still to this day the most viewed automotive commercial on YouTube, which is wow. an insane accolade. Right, because that to was the,
0: the orange and black app. At- Volkswagen.
1: That was the. It was the blue and black. One. Oh right, okay. That's, yeah, that's, that's obviously done. That was the three hundred mile an hour. That was chart. the three hundred one, right? They, I think, if I recall correctly, that's maybe done about forty-five million. But I didn't shoot that one, right? But this is a. a I could be wrong. It could be less. It could be more. But I know that ours is still up there, eighty-five, eighty-eight million or Jeez. something like that. Which for an advert essentially is unheard of. A long form advert as well, yeah. and uh, it was. You know, we we just got incredibly lucky with the algorithm. I think the film was quite. We got lucky with the weather. The film is quite captivating. It's real. It is genuinely doing two hundred and fifty miles an hour. Yeah, and we got a car to car shot at two hundred and fifty miles an hour. Gee. two hundred and sixty seven technically. And did you we, have to use another
0: Bugatti we for that? Another Chiron, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's pretty good. <laughs> Excuse me, guys. We only need two on. We actually had three. Really? Yeah, we had one for sound. It was such a bougie day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's really good um, but that's still my unfortunately my my most viewed thing it will always be unfortunately I think it's always going to
0: unless be you way. create a Gangnam Style or something that does the,
1: a billion views the then. only commercial that's automotive that's got more views is actually the Jean-Claude Van Damme Volvo Trucks advert Yeah, but that's labeled as entertainment so I'm being a little pickety here but so technically
0: technically I'm, correct which is the best form the of correct the best form of correct yeah.
1: exactly um, thank you, Futurama fans. The, um, <laughs> what a show. The, uh, so I think getting involved with like numbers and stuff, but the expectation of when people want to make a film, and it's especially when it's an entertainment piece and it's not like an advert. So when it's a launch film for a car, yeah, there isn't really this kind of worry that it does well on YouTube. They just need to know that it's worked at dealerships and it's sold cars. Yeah. And that's actually what really matters because really, you know, Bentley are not going to push out an advert for the new Flying Spur V8. In the same way that ford will yeah they'll pre-roll a sponsored advert benny won't really do that doesn't matter because they'll sell out hopefully or they get a good, really good response from their customers whereas you know uh if you produce something that is based on entertainment so if it's a sheer doing 250 miles an hour or drifting or whatever you want to see big numbers mm. because that makes the money that they've put in worth it because they have very, very small budgets, these these hypercar companies. They do not have a lot of money because they don't need to. Generally, everything's sold and they have a very little need for marketing because actually their big marketing comes from people going on events and the personal experience you know they you know the customers the people
0: who are buying these cars are there's a circle that they're in and you just have to have the car within that circle you don't need to get me and you to see it on youtube they're not buying it off a
1: youtube video but what the youtube video does give them is brand credibility and brand coolness and
0: that is almost intangible yeah, because the person that's buying that car is like, I'm buying a cool thing. Yeah, they because know that they're made everybody that can't them. afford one wants this because they've seen these videos. Exactly. If you've seen a video of a, a Bugatti doing 250 miles an hour and you see someone that's got a Bugatti that can do it, that's a cool thing. I've seen that. And that's, as you say, it's an intangible asset for yeah. them. Yeah. So it's, it's, but it's hard to put into numbers at the end
1: of the year and go, well, we've spent this money. Yeah. I can't tell you what it's actually brought, but I can tell you that. It's good. Yeah. It's the replacement for the poster on the wall, right? You know, in the old days, you had your, Diab, your yellow Diablo SV on the wall. and Yeah, kids was...
0: don't have posters these days. No, it's, it's minimal. It's a weird... We're, we're in millennial culture where everything's grey. And... I think if we had just advertise Blu-Tack more...
1: <laughs> I think the, the, the main problem is the decline of the magazine. Yeah. That, that's what's really happening.
0: Physical, like, Physical things like stuff, aren't yeah. really done anymore. Like, I have Magneto and Road Rat and Verka under the coffee table there. Mm. But I'm 30, so I'm not the target audience for a 15-year-old's bedroom wall anymore. Yeah. It is interesting that in the US, you know, it still looks like it's going
1: strong, relatively. Um, and Japan as well, that yeah. sort of blows still places. And in fact, in Germany as well, they seem to have really strong magazine areas. But I, I don't know, it, I, I'm not in tune with it now.
0: No, me neither. I, I happen to know the guys behind a couple of the magazines, so I get a brief insight into how that whole world works. And because of doing what I do, every so often I'll get Top Gear Mag or or someone will send me an email asking me to buy advertising space and then they'll try and give some numbers as to why it's worthwhile and it's very easy to go I get more views on YouTube than that. It's it's really hard to justify to an audience these days especially as someone that spends a lot of time within social media world Mm -hmm. my direct comparison is how much would a Facebook ad return me in views and I've got Which is far more targeted, far more precise. I can pick the people that this is going to get seen to, and then I can retarget to them, and I can split my budget in several different ways, versus, I hope the right people see this in the back of your magazine. Yeah. It's a really hard sell these days. Yeah.
1: I only buy magazines when I have friends who have either done interviews in them and... Uh, or they've got cars, or something that I know, or yeah. it's been something that I've even been involved in. That's my only reason for buying. Yeah, yeah which now. is
0: quite a fun thing about having some work within the automotive world is that will happen quite yeah. often because I mean, it's such a small niche. I'm
1: very sad about it in some ways because you know having got a bit of an affinity, you know, an affinity to car magazine, which was always about the big road trips, the big gorgeous photographic spreads, and the sort of like an eight eight to ten page feature yeah, yeah. about driving, you know, your whatever it is around whatever dark, deepest, darkest country. And, you know, I, I do miss that. And I still have, you know, old magazines, which I probably open once or twice every two years. Yeah. Just to sort of go, oh, I remember that. Bit and of just, nostalgia it's a nostalgia trip. Literally, yeah. And then you give away the magazines that you don't really care about. And I've kept, my, I, I now have probably... 20 magazines, where, of which have some significant importance with jobs and cars and stuff, yeah. and everything else I've just kind of given away or lent it to CNN or whatever, and um, and that's it. And it's, it's we're well, part of the problem, really, aren't you? With your videos, like you, yeah, yeah. You,
0: you're part of the reason it's all changing,
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, Instagram, you know, found that people were going to TikTok because of videos, and videos were more entertaining than pictures, but. You know, Instagram went so hard on the video thing that they ruined their own platform yeah, yeah. By, by trying to make people do TikTok. And you're I like, think they're
0: to and fro a lot as well. Like, yeah. you can really see it if you in any way put content on yeah. like regularly. You can really see what goes up and what goes down and what gets views and what doesn't. For a long time,
1: Instagram was by far and beyond the most ho- wholesome so- so- social media for me. You know, I just wanted to see cars. Um, micro pigs and ducks and that was pretty much it yeah. my three favourite
0: things in the world and Grace is obsessed with getting a pig oh, we have a, like a deal when she reaches like consultant psychologist level yeah. and we're earning enough to have the space for one she's yeah. like I'll get my pig then yeah the pigs are great and they
1: uh, obviously a micro pig doesn't exist by the way yeah, yeah. But, I was going to say but you can get a small pig yeah. you know there are still such things as small pigs but they're just not tiny have they're you the, been
0: over to Henry's barn?
1: yes so have
0: you seen Henry's pigs yes they're gigantic yeah with the nose rings and stuff they're yeah. brilliant but they were sold to him as these are tiny little pigs and they're <laughs> huge and they've got tusks and really coarse fur and everything yeah. it's brilliant it's the exact opposite of what he expected to be getting we
1: went to the pig, micro pig cafe in Japan oh, in Harajuku nice.
0: and um,
1: contrary to everything that people miss know about pigs they're very very clean animals they're incredibly intelligent and warm hearted and they're lovely. They just trot around having a nice time. Yeah. Big smile on their faces. Like, they're just adorable. Living their like, best lives. Yeah, living their best lives. Still tasty, but, you know, still
0: That's the thing. As long as I don't have to see the transition between those two states, exactly. I, can, I can continue like living my life. I can I can morally separate my bacon from... Yeah, my, Jeff, the micro from from pig. Jeff, the micro
1: pig. <laughs> I think if I had a pig, though, I'd call it jambon. But, you know... either or, or crispy bacon. Crispy bacon. There was pigsy low ham... <laughs> Uh, Calvin Swine Harry Trotter uh,
0: there was loads of them. there's amazing. so many, like yeah. it's, so many so, it's the same with like Dachshunds and Corgis they've always got fun names they have to. Um, but uh, we've gone off on another tangent quite easily Love but, it. which is not a bad thing because it's a fun tangent <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> give them what they want that's, yeah, what, that's it you know, Grace yeah, yeah. would be well happy if she ever listens to this She'll be, oh my yeah. god pigs yeah. they never make an appearance um, so for you how is the advent of social now being all portrait video had an effect when you do, because mm. I'm a big fan of actually watching stuff on a proper screen. Yeah, and the social stuff is more of a I'm going to scroll through people just doing shit. Yeah, I'm not going there for the quality. I'm going there for the what the random content, madness yeah. is happening. The, um,
1: the bitter pill to swallow is that the vast majority of media is now consumed on your phone in a portrait fashion. Now. Uh, if people have already heard this rant from me before, I apologise.
0: <laughs> I think it came up briefly at Caffeine Machine, yeah, which was not recorded. So no. So i
1: i have a I have a real problem with. I think everyone has a real problem with this, but I seem to have become some sort of bizarre um, figurehead for the movement against portrait videoing, and I'm not in any way. Um, <laughs> the problem is i'm still part of the problem <laughs> and i don't really oh, cool, full
0: circle again <laughs> no but i
1: mean I, I've, I have literally done a talk on this in london <laughs> and i have done a night at CNO about this i have done a video about it and now we're doing a we'll, a, a we'll, hit every
0: we'll do a portrait video outside if you yeah want. <laughs> exactly
1: so to describe it for the people at home if you can imagine that when we started filming stuff, everything was in, you watch your TV, your TV is a landscape object, roughly 16 by nine aspect ratio. Your cinema screen is wider than that. Every, the world is, you know, and I'm gonna just, just for the sake of this exercise, let's call the world flat. It is ostensibly, wide. you know, horizontal. Yeah. go. the is, world is horizontal. The world is horizontal bit, yeah. with curves at the edges. And cars are also long, wide objects from the front and from the side. And that is really how everything is. Now, if you try and turn your phone 90 degrees to show, to show the entirety of a car, you have an enormous amount of ground, an enormous amount of sky, and there's tiny little car in the middle of it where you can't really see anything. It's always... Everything's always cropped badly. There's no golden ratio rule anymore. There's no rule of thirds. Yeah. There's no... There's no classic cinematography rules that apply... Your brain does not like working in portrait; it just exists. And the only way
0: to do cars in portrait is from above. It's the only it, time exactly. Fit in that yeah, form. Exactly. <laughs> so we're going to have to start designing cars to look great from. In yeah, range. London buses, fantastic. Yeah, you Put know, your adverts on the top, guys. Yeah, exactly. Just London
1: buses from the front are the only cars that work. Double deckers, and that's it. And you know, you 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 end up having to make enormous compromises in your work because you know that the social media platform unfortunately carries a far higher weight than YouTube does now or even TV or anything yeah. like that. And it's it's actually soul-destroying that you can't create stuff to be as beautiful as you want it to be. And I see a lot of these films... I, I, see, I, I get very jealous when I see these kind of like big, awesome YouTube specials because we go on these... And I think... Really I it's my fault for not being bolder and more um more of a barrier and saying I'm just not gonna do it and being but the problem is I want to well, that I have to do it. Yeah. That this film has to be suitable for for viewing at home. Which means that I no longer film on anamorphic lenses and I never film on you know, things that I we don't we can't craft shots in the way that You would be able to craft it normally for a film that's one aspect ratio so i can't spend time lovingly moving stuff around i just feel like again as we just got to the point where we're starting to create what felt like genuinely cool art is that now i have to like retrace my steps back and go i'm just now creating shots again and yeah we're, we're we're compromising so heavily on stuff to try and make stuff fit, and I'm filming stuff in the bizarrest wide-angle lenses so that when you see it on your screen virtually... It's right in the middle of it's, the- it's there and it's not cropped, and it's hard to show the action. And it's incredible. When you see a film, occasionally there's a bit of a, a pushback and, you know, like great video guys like Dave Hale and... Mark Easton and those guys who are starting to produce and upload their footage again, but in nine in sixteen so by
0: nines, you have to rotate your the phone. screen. Yeah, yeah, I've seen a lot of that recently as well. Actually, with a little, please turn your phone sideways.
1: Yeah, and it's bizarre because it's it's so overwhelmingly better. Yeah, to watch it suddenly that way round again, you're like, oh my god, this is beautiful, <laughs> and you've got detail and it's framed and the sky is not the dominant part of the... Yeah, yeah. the you know, it's you not think your entire time blue and frame. white at the top and black at the bottom anymore. It, it, exactly. And it, it it just fills the world better. And it's, you know, all of a sudden your phone becomes stereo as well. So the sound, yeah, yeah. you know, in modern, in modern iPhone, the stereo sound is astonishing, really. <laughs> and all of a sudden the sound comes through your ears and you've got a sense of left and right. And you've just got, like, it opens up an untold number of dimensions and i know it sounds it so silly it, it? but it's yeah. insane what a difference it makes and the
0: whole reason that we don't live our lives like that with our phones is because i can't do that as easily with one hand it's just lazy like, i can just grip it in one hand with yep. its portrait that's laziness.
1: It. it's it, it, and it's i remember I, I, I can't even think how old it was now how long ago it was but there was for a year or two, people battled against it, going, like, why are you holding your phone? Stop filming in vertical. Yeah. And that was kind of like, you know,
0: just... I remember up. that period as well, where everyone was like, what are you doing? Yeah, Hold yeah. it sideways. Obviously, you film you're filming. You're an old person or a child if you're doing it like this. Correct. And now it's
1: literally all my pictures. I, You know, people say, when I film... I, um, I went to that Drift Festival in Japan a few weeks, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and... I filmed the entire thing vertically. Yeah. Because I just knew that I wasn't going to use a single shot in a horizontal manner. I was just like, what am I. You've given in. I've, I've was, completely yeah. given
0: in to it. You know. As the say, I've just started taking portrait photos way more than I ever did before. And if I'm going to an event, I'll just do my phone like that because oh, I know you that that's You just know what's that gonna that's the way around it. Yeah.
1: And it's how you get the biggest screen pic- images and stuff like that. And, you know, even like Charlie B. Great example, you know. He's having to spend most of his time with his phone because he knows that most of his photos will be used vertically, yeah. And he's got exactly the same problem with his phone. So he just got like a ton of ceiling, a ton of floor, and there's tiny little car in the middle, yeah.
0: And so they end up with just cropped bits of car to make it look yeah. a little bit more interesting and fill the screen,
1: off. yeah. And it, it, it's it is like just absurd the whole thing is absurd and it's miserable and i hate it but we are here and it is what it is and if you want to play the game if you want to like make stuff you have to do that well
0: now that more phones are foldable like samsung's Mm -hmm. hopefully that is the direction things lean a bit more towards and we can get a bit more horizontal back in our lives i
1: think i think it's as much as i'd love to Be positive about (laughs) about that. I feel that we are now. We've kind of we've stuck. We're we're now fairly stuck in this. It's it's not um it's not something which you know. I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel to get away from it for for social media stuff,
0: especially for car stuff. I think for people, it's fine because people are long and thin. Yeah, so that it works great for you standing in front of a mirror doing your makeup or whatever. Yeah, but for the stuff that we're interested in, it's for, a for pain car stuff, it's it's the worst it can be,
1: and it is it is a sad truth. And you know, i we filmed this, we filmed, oh, I just literally went and filmed this same this Max Verstappen film that I filmed out in Monaco, and there were so many shots where we had like, right, we've got to make sure there's a nine sixteen safe version of this because it, the product has to be right. It has yeah. to look good, and it, all it is is literally just you put some lines on, and the car is in the middle of the screen. There's no thinking about how does the tree yeah, next yeah. to it like frame and weight so the frame. That's all going to be in. Is of it now, yeah, it's completely gone. Yeah, it's completely gone. And just like, what is the point? We put on this like wide lens and go. Well, that's it. There's no thought to it. It's plonked in the middle. You could maybe move the car up or down a bit, but reality is, you know, you know that you want it in the middle because there's a like button right next to it. And if you have it You've too low, four there's buttons text. on the side that
0: you can't, and then there's that at the bottom yeah. that you can't. It's going to sit in this
1: top three quarters of the screen. It's, it is pretty pretty soul destroying, I have to say. And you know, I then go and look at. I've got some favourite. I, I watch a ton of YouTube. It's the it's, I only subscribe to a couple of services, YouTube being one of them, because I can be so niche about what I want to go and watch. I watch a lot of film essays and stuff like that. And video essays about stuff. And I, I watched one recently on Dune, which is a fantastic film. Visually. I need to see the new one. Actually. Fantastic. I film read
0: did. the book when I can't remember where we went, but I was like, I need to sit and. Yeah. It was before the film came out. I was like, the film's coming. I need to read the book. Yeah. And then the film came out, and I just haven't, didn't get a chance to go and see it. And it's been out for what, like a year?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely
0: go and see it on the biggest,
1: coolest TV you can if yeah. you, now. But the um, they were talking about how the images are all. The, the 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 just the the way it's all constructed and just the beauty of it, and the same with like to some extent as well, the new Batman film is stunning um whether the film's a bit boring or not, but visually uh, is incredible, the depth and the layering and the darkness of it's unreal, and you know you can't get that on a vertical screen, mm. and that was what I sort of loved. I just felt like we were just starting to get to the point in my career where I was starting to make films that were yeah, yeah. really about this.
0: And then all of a sudden you're like, nah... Has so to work is, to sit on a mobile phone, Basically, yeah, This is the guy that was 20 years before you that was doing VHS, and he finally got to the really good bit of it, and then you come along with you. handy it, and digital, like, yeah. Well, we're on YouTube now, I can run around with my yeah, phone. Hooray! <laughs> and now yeah. everyone's running around with the phone in the hand. Yeah, way. and got gimbals. I hate you guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, and now there's the AI revolution, which is the next step beyond this. And I'm kind of here for it, and uh, you know, I'm now getting into CG projects because I think CG is... I don't want it to replace filming and I don't want to be the person who sits in a house and and just renders films out. But I do I recently did a uh my first commercial for McLaren um the seven fifty S in Unreal Engine. Oh wow. Did the entire thing in that and it was The whole thing. The whole thing is in Unreal Engine.
0: Did McLaren want people to know that?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, no, I mean it's it, it's they yeah, it's it's fine. But the it's we, I've only been learning it for about a year or so, maybe a bit under a year. And,
0: um, we won't tell McLaren that bit either. Oh, they're fine with it. They're, 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 <laughs> no, I'm a professional, I promise. I promise it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, just me and my laptop bumbling around figuring it
1: out. Yeah, but it's, it is kind of that though, but it's, it's. I, I find it as, a, it is an extension of filmmaking. Yeah. And actually, as we were talking earlier about how it's hard to go and be creative and do stuff at home on your own and go and do your own thing, I, I when I met, it was it was actually Kaisel was one of the big Kaisel yeah the Kaiser on Instagram for everyone. He uh, happens to live just around the corner from me, and I was going, I was round his round his place like having a cup of tea, and he was just showing me stuff. I was like, you are just creating worlds and stuff. Oh, his stuff home. is like insanely cool. It's as incredible. Well.
0: Yeah, like I am not surprised by the amount of people that follow him. Yeah, because he is building this stuff just on a computer mm-hmm. but it is so realistic and it's so high quality yeah and he's one that i've i've invited him on and we've not figured out a time to just sit down and have the chat but it's one of those where it's like it is the next level of cool and interesting and craftsmanship and mm. artistry and i think a lot of the traditionalists are like oh it's not the same as building things it's like well you but can't he is build though thing.
1: these his cars exist yeah like he's built them in 3d and then People go and make them for real. And he is designed. Like the new for speed Volvo with yeah, the, the, all Yeah, Travis Pastrana's Gymkhana car. Like, there were so many, there are so many things that he's, you know, the recent Daniel Arsham project, all this kind of stuff, like, all that exists because he can sit at home and create. And I was, I have to say, I was completely inspired by the fact that you could go. I had an interest in 3D stuff anyway. I'm a big gamer myself. And I, yeah, so as soon as you mention Unreal
0: Engine, you're like, oh, Star Wars was made, in this. Let's that? go. <laughs> yeah. Let's
1: make this. Oh, that, was that frostbite though? I don't know. anyway that, that ability to create a world and go and film stuff and do stuff was what was immediately like okay this is really interesting and because um, the world and also like the, the the barrier to entry is so low now it's a free program where you go and download it is it has taken a very long time to get I, I mean I say it's taken a long time I've, I've been told that apparently a year is nothing yeah but it still felt like a very long
0: time. I met a guy that's been doing some 3D modelling in Blender, and he was saying that he does, they're like, can you remember those little remote control cars that you would get? Oh, the little micro cars the little that with like that... wheels and they look like a bit short and stubby yeah, and Yeah, cute. but they would clip onto the controller yes. and charge. They look kind of like that, yes. but they're all in Blender. Yeah. And he was saying it's like 90 hours a car yeah. to make these little videos. Yeah. And it's it's mad how much time it takes and how yeah. much skill is involved. So oh, it's, it, like,
1: it's, it's extraordinary. And I was completely humbled by how um, how good people are. And,
0: you know... the um, It is effectively CAD drawing. Like, you are engineered drawing level of creating because it has to be proportionally right. It has to be... Everything has to look real for it to... Otherwise, that mm. illusion of reality immediately falls apart. What
1: was fun for me was we, I mean, we we basically, you know, McLaren and the agency approached us and said, like, hey, so how are you getting on with that Unreal stuff? And I was like, not bad, not bad. And within a couple of weeks, we committed to a photorealistic film releasing a brand-new supercar. And whilst we knew that we could do it, we hadn't done it yet. Yeah. So it was a bit of a, like, oh, I really hope this works. And we we uh actually it went really really well we got the cad data from mclaren we painted it with in the thing put the materials on it built some worlds built some environments i i was in charge of the driving bit right uh, everyone else was so Kaisel did this like really cool engineering bay lucas did this like really cool like yoga temple like indiana jonesy sort of thing very very cool and we all kind of did our little bits but the driving part i've you know we were very clear to them that we are not Pixar. we are three people who are trying something out which was a big risk but they had a lot of faith we then uh cracked on i built this kind of road in 3d which i sort of hashed together with some bits and pieces but then beyond that this is where this stuff is really interesting to me is all i essentially did beyond that once I'd had like an environment put in and the car was ready to sort of cut and paste in the frame you just need to figure out in number terms what the car is doing in real life so if the car's going along and bobbing along a tiny little bit on little bumps and little micro surfaces and the wheel kind of like just flicks up and down very very gently and the camera is on a theoretical, you know, call it on, on a Russian arm, on a flight head. So it's got a little bit of up-down bounce, a little bit of left and right and movement there. And then it's got a little bit of shake added for a little bit of... You kind of just build those onto the scene. You then move the car at... You can calculate the speed because you know that it's going to do 100 miles an hour, so it does this many units in so many seconds over the frame. So you can make that look real. You spin the wheels because you know how many times the wheel's going to spin by doing the mass for there. You know roughly all of these things, how the real thing works... You then put them in the numbers, you press Render, and, and here's, your advert. here's your advert. I've simplified it somewhat. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. There's a lot of maths and stuff in there. Yeah, you got the, yeah. You put, you know, but you put the light where the light should be, you put the camera where the camera should be, and it comes out like a real film. Yeah. It takes a long time to render, but it, it is, you know, as long as you understand how the real thing works, and I wouldn't have been able to do it had I not spent 15 years filming real cars. Yeah and that's the big difference is i look at so many of these like animated car projects and go that's not what a car does that's not real at all and i saw like a big a huge advert recently come out of a very large film studio <laughs> and i was like
0: that is terrible the driving the, the, it just the, had one what? car guy on the project He's Yeah, would have been saying graphics were sick
1: like yeah. graphic beautiful the the concept brilliant music brilliant the animation very 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 unrealistic and it wasn't even cartoonish. It just looked bad. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it it was that sort of thing. I realised that that's where I could potentially find a new avenue of creativity here, is that I can bring a, what I would call a slightly obsessive...
0: Yeah, you've got all look. of that experience doing the actual out-in-the-real-world out stuff at that level of car as well. Yes. It, there's not many people that have filmed cars going at speed that would know... When it's going this fast, the car behaves this way, versus when it's going slow, it behaves this way. Exactly. And all the tips and tricks that we do
1: in real life that make stuff look fast, that applies exactly the same. Because if you do the Marvel camera, so Marvel have this bizarre... problem with their CG where they have this camera that's incredible goes through like swoops around flies up and down you have multiple layers and multiple things happening in the same scene and it's actually just a mess because it doesn't feel real Mm. you've just got like so much going on you cut here to the Black Widow doing this and you you, like then pan up and there's Hawk throwing an arrow but then the camera tracks the arrow which hits a guy which then literally the Hulk picks him up and then like hits him with someone else and I know exactly the scene that you're That talking sort about, of right? stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's these like, and they're just exhausting because they're they're not they're just kind of, you're just sat there just watching it, going like, okay, stuff is happening. You don't feel real, whereas because going you could do that in real life. That's you? right. Yeah, going back to Dune, every single camera move in Dune, and arguably something like Blade Runner twenty forty two and that kind of stuff. Is it twenty forty two? Twenty forty nine. Yeah, yeah. It's Battlefield twenty forty two. I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, in Blade Runner, the cameras are grounded as if they were attached to something. Interstellar, same thing. The cameras feel like they're bolted onto the side of a spaceship. And that grounding is what sells it so much harder than it does if it's just this kind of bizarre floating... Michael Bay style...
0: Yeah, yeah, like, it's almost an FPV drone.
1: Yeah, exactly. But even FPV drones have a weighting and a direction and a a force to them, you know. They react with the physics in... Exactly, and I think that's... That is where I am so excited about doing stuff with, like, modern filmmaking and stuff like that, and it's really kind of lifted me creatively with the possibilities... Um, I shot a I shot an episode recently of I actually directed a an episode on Top Gear on a season that's would have been coming
0: out. Yeah, had some horrible, yeah. horrible scenario not. It, exactly.
1: On, it's it's uh it's I, I really really, you know, hope it all works out cuz I'd I'd really love to see the episode yeah. from a vaguely selfish perspective. Yeah, but, yeah, it's
0: the same as having your feature in a
1: magazine, isn't it, it? Yeah, exactly. Um but what was really interesting about the Top Gear machine is the Top Gear machine is a very tried and tested family of guys doing an amazing job, but there is very slow, clunky, heavy camera gear. It's all shot in a very sort of slow and clunky way because it's TV and it has a certain quality that they have to live up to, and there's certain things that have to be shot in a nice way. It's not even shot in 4K, it's shot in 1080p. Right. So, which I found bizarre. Like, completely bizarre because all of a sudden, this kind of like, my phone will do 4K, right? Yeah, <laughs> and like, you know, why there's all this reframing that you can do in high digital, and you know, we, we are we are 10 years now beyond this kind of like filming process. They don't have any, you know, there's no gimbals, there's all it's all just like sliders which take 10 15 minutes to set
0: up for a yeah, shot, yeah.
1: and then you've got to do a few of them because you know you can't just rotate the camera, and
0: it's you know, that must have been like really frustrating for you to try and direct to be like we could have wrapped this up hours ago if we'd just used modern stuff it was
1: it was really interesting, yeah I, it was I, I the frustration wasn't so much frustration as more just kind of like interest in the way that it's done i guess it's
0: one time it's for very
1: you, reliable it? <laughs> and it works and it gets there. It gets there, but I would, you know, and it was because it was my first kind of directing gig with them. I didn't want to rock the boat, yeah, because I don't want to. I want to sort of. They have a process, you're you're not going to come in, you're going to be. It's going to be more com- confusion and it is going to be helpful. But my theory was that over time, we could start to introduce these ideas as we go on and kind of like really kind of step it up into modern filmmaking, yeah, but um that's not to say that they're doing anything wrong at all and I must stress this but this is more that it, it it felt like we would tend a long time setting up for things that would have been over in probably 20 seconds and were sort of like 15 minutes for a shot yeah so um, but you know at the same time it works and it gets the stuff done and the same methodology works for all sorts of TV but TV you know is is, is a very old thing now as well mm. Um. We're, we're, we're well into new we so far beyond you know traditional stuff and that's they, they're still making you know TV the same way they've made it really for like the last 50 years it's, it's just the way it is so it's a big ship to turn though isn't it it is a huge ship to turn and it's not that but also linear television linear broadcasting is in a very weird place itself you know with the advent of on stream on demand yeah, and then yeah. like streaming box sets and stuff like that those things are by far and beyond, you know, they are mi- hundreds of millions of pounds on these things. And, you know, we're sort of trying to work out how we get enough cameras on set to film a car going around a track, which, you know, there is a gigantic populace of the world wanting to see cars do cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it Ooh. seems un... Uh, what's the correct... Um, the, the Unproportional.
0: Yes, or disproportionate.
1: Disproportional.
0: Yes, that's the right there one. There we go. Yeah. Because it was weird when Carfection stopped, because mm. it was such a, such a huge audience for mm. it. But it was because it was owned by a TV network. Yeah, and they were like, well, "Numbers on the sheets aren't exactly what we want, so therefore, we'll scrap the whole thing." Yeah,
1: the uh, it was really interesting when I used to love. Um, uh, um, I used to love some of the like when when Freiburg and those guys were doing their YouTube show before it disappeared off behind a paywall and.
0: Yeah, that's when Discovery. I stopped. Yeah. Like, you need to go on to Motor Trend. To, know, no, thank, thank you. you.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> time I for just that. want to
0: see these two idiots running around in cars that should not really be road legal. Yeah, exactly. great.
1: <laughs> and that was that was kind of like what was so cool about it. And now you kind of just catch up with their antics on Instagram, yeah. and then it's not really the same thing. And now so many people have taken up that hole in the middle. Yeah, a moment. bit
0: like the um, the Winwicky. Yeah and uh, What are they called? Car track Trek, Trek, and car Trek, yeah, know. car track. That's great. I mean, they are lift. They are sort of carrying kind of the top gear. Yeah, yeah. they're doing a really it, good job of it as well. And it's it's an interesting mix. Like <clears> I've met tavarish at least once at a, a car event that a friend of mine hosted, and he's like such a nice, down to earth guy. And you get a lot of this authenticity through these guys when they're on the on the videos. Yeah. Which I think is what really gets people engaged, is I, I don't necessarily care about what car you're driving or how expensive something is. If you're interesting and entertaining and authentic, then I'm way more invested in what's going on. You could be in a Reliant Robin for all I care. Like Jeremy Clarkson's video where he did the Reliant Robin and just rolled it everywhere, that was way more entertaining than him doing a power slide in yet another million pound car. The 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 Reliant Robin episode was one of the most,
1: like, crying with laughter episodes. I just... It was so ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and absurd. And, like, it you, you had... You know, people, I think people say you could never get away with it. I'm not sure they were supposed to get away with it then. No. They just... I think they did. I mean, you know... <laughs> they had enough weight to go, well, we did it anyway. No, nah, just... We're top gear. Yeah. Accident, yeah. 100
0: million people. We'll,
1: we'll, the machine talking. was huge. But ultimately, like, it kind of had because it had the BBC behind it, it had an, a sort of an air of like, well, it's, it's the BBC, it's official. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's they not, wouldn't do anything they're not allowed to do. Yeah, but even despite the controversies and everything else, you know, it kind of felt, because it had that BBC stamp of approval on it, that someone somewhere had said it was okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was, as a result, it was just brilliant. It still remains one of the, the top probably 10 moments in... Oh, just that first gear. bit
0: where it's down the hill and the, the camera is shot from the road that he's about to enter. So you don't know what's going to happen and then it just rolls onto the... And you're like, perfect. Yeah. Could not have done that better. It couldn't if, have been funnier. If they'd have followed the car as it did it, it would not have been as funny as an empty scene with a Reliant Robin then just rolling into shot. Yeah. Like, Someone actually, had some... I don't. I, I actually don't know who
1: directed that episode, but whoever was directing that episode... Had the funniest fucking sense of humour. <laughs> yeah. Like, they, they, that someone knew, t- and the editing was, the timing was spot on. Perfect. Yeah. And I suspect, like, you know, Clarkson, Richard Porter had a huge amount, like, say in how that all happened. Well, but... Richard's
0: supposed to be coming on this at some point when I can get him for an hour or so. And I'm going to ask him about he's, that. Because pati- I've not thought to ask him about that particular he's episode. Bastard. He's, he's very, so funny. <laughs> and he's so lovely and so yeah. chatty. And I met him. This would have been a couple of years ago. So I went to do the Driven Chat podcast when they did that at CNM And it was the same day that he was there to do that and then do I Love You Man. Mm-hmm. So I'd had, I'd not really been involved in the car world that much at that point. Like I've always been like into my cars, mm-hmm. but Tacona is my like step into the car world. Yeah. So I'd not, I'm, I'm a nobody, like nobody's really heard of what I was doing. By now I'm a little bit more well known, but not to any sort of real level. Um, so we'd done the podcast, stood in the bar with him, Alex Goy, Amy Shaw, and John Markar.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I was kind of stood there going, These people have all got a name. Like, if I mention their names to someone who's a car enthusiast, people know who I'm talking about. Yeah. And then there's just like me just stood there going, oh, I'm oh, having right. a lovely time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is great. How did I get here? Yeah. And he was just so friendly and chatty and engaging. And some some guy came over and was asking him about how the, the Anne. Thing came about on Top Gear. Oh, look, and duck and stuff like yes. that. And he was just, oh, it was just a funny backstory that me and my wife used to make this joke about how I think what he said was back in the day, if a, a H was almost classed as a vowel. So if a word began with a H, you would say like an hotel. Yes. And him and his wife <laughs> would keep that tradition going and forget that. Other people weren't in on the joke. She was like, "I would like an hotel room, please, like at a (laughs) check-in desk." And the guys like, "What's wrong with you?" Yeah, and it just became this running joke. That then I think that plus like Clarkson and that kind of fed into the jokes as well. And it became this thing. It's just so lovely that. Had the time just to go. This is a fun story. I want to share it with you. Yeah. And even with this like weird car trivia books, you know that comes from him just going. I find this stuff interesting, and it's also a bit of a laugh. Yeah. To make a weird, boring car trivia. Yeah, he doesn't or, take yourself too seriously. Yeah. And I think that's like a real key to enjoying anything. is yeah. Don't take it too seriously, or you'll suck all the fun out of it, and then mm. it will feel like work. Yeah.
1: Never a truer word said about anything. Like, don't take stuff too. I mean. Take some stuff fairly seriously yeah yeah, right? but I'm buying know, a house I'm taking that seriously <laughs> serious. pay your taxes, pay that seriously but the, um, the, the, the actual kind of life itself, you know I think I did take stuff very, very seriously for a very long time, and it definitely wasn't the right thing to do.
0: it doesn't like conduce a good mental state because you are so focused on this has to be right or this yeah. has to result in this that anything short of the expectation you put on it is then detrimental yeah you you lose sight of the end
1: goal the purity of the end goal rather yeah so quickly it's you it, you you fall out of that like that window of like what was actually good about it so fast because you kind of you you know and i think i wonder at sometimes if richard looks back i think i'm sure he does look back very fondly on episodes but i wonder if he looks back on something and goes like oh god we should never have done that that way or like <laughs> how do we do that but not not so much in like how do we get away with that but more like oh god why did we say that or something yeah, like that. Yeah. i wonder if he, you know i because there's still there's some stuff which you look at tv i mean really not that long ago like if you look at stuff shows from 10 years ago they say stuff that's pretty wild yeah, like, by oh, today's standards, and God, like we moved on so fast. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, I
0: remember watching Forty Towers, and there are lines in Forty Towers. You're like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> you can't say that anymore. I saw a clip with John Cleese the other day, and Basil Fawlty's based on a guy he actually met, really, He's based on a hotel manager that he met when they were filming Monty Python. And he said the guy was short and fat, and the guy's wife was tall and thin, and he was like we couldn't really find anyone taller and thinner than me, so we kind of flipped the idea around that his wife was quite short. He said, but you'd go to the checking desk and he wouldn't look up when you spoke to him. You'd be like, oh, hello. And he'd be like, hello. He's like, what? What What could you possibly want? Yeah, why are you bothering me? (laughs) It's like true Basil Fawlty. And he said, um, Eric Idle left a briefcase in reception by accident before they went filming came back in the evening and was like oh I left my briefcase where is it and the guy's like oh it's behind the wall outside he's like "What?" he's like yeah past the swimming pool there's a wall it's behind the wall why is it there oh, there might have been a bomb in it so uh, we put it over there just in case but this was all like Incredible. pre-IRA and stuff <laughs> so it wasn't like a normal thing for a, a bag to have a bomb in it he's like yeah we just thought that'd be the safest place in case it wasn't so you could still come and get it and it's like this, this oh, guy was full on Basil faulty just in real life That was just this guy I um, if the I find there that there. clip, I'll send it over to you because it was hilarious. But uh, you can't get away with half of that stuff. Like marching through a restaurant doing Germany... Doing a goose step. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it was unreal. I mean, it's still funny. Because some of it that isn't kind of on the nose is still hilarious. Like the scene with the lady that wanted a better view and he's like, the, the, I can't the, the move to <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did you want? Like crack a or <laughs> yeah, something yeah. like that
1: erupting in the background. It's, <laughs> it is honestly, it's, it is close to perfection and actually, you know, still totally stands up really. Oh yeah, it's, the, the humour is spot on. Yeah, it, it is stunning. It's just, it's. I'll it, tell you what it was that I watched. And again, here we go off another tangent. I what, we're going to
0: probably have to wrap soon to that's be fair. Fine. so we can we can squeeze another tangent
1: so final tangent if you watch I challenge anyone now to watch an old Sean Connery Bond film <laughs> or an old Roger Moore Bond film yeah. the whole way through and not go oh my god yeah. what are you doing there was this one scene where he goes for a massage or he's going for something a spa treatment and this nurse comes in and he basically just assaults this nurse <laughs> and she's like no Mr. Bond slaps him or pushes him away. And then, and I'm like, okay, that's really bad. And then he goes and gets attacked. And like, he for some reason, the, he goes on some spine stretching machine, gets attacked. And this, this nurse comes in and goes, oh my God, i Mr. Bonner, you okay? And then he assaults her again. And he's fine with it. And she's fine. It. It's just... She's like, oh, like, now
0: you've been in peril. I'm okay.
1: Yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness me. And then I, I, we watched this film and it's just carried on the entire way through. And I'm not sure what happened where I suddenly have become aware of this now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not going to, for one second, pretend I'm a very woke person. But at the same time, I was like, ooh, I yeah. don't like this anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I used to I feel love, love James the Bond. It. <laughs> it like There's favorite. one joke in that, in that era that still holds up really well. And it was, I think it was, Octopussies in the Bath. And she's like, can you pass me some clothes? And he just walks over and hands her a pair of shoes.
1: Yes. <laughs> I, think,
0: like, I know it's like a little bit that's fine. curvy, but that's, that's still cool. such a like on-point joke. Yeah, yeah, of, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, I would do that to my partner. <laughs> yeah, like, that it? would be so much fun, especially if you knew the person. You go, there you go. I'm going to creep out at you for a bit now. Enjoy. <laughs> yes. Get out of this situation. Yeah. Um, like, there you go, cars. <laughs> go. What a great car episode, fan. Yes, thank you. He drove some fun cars. It's all right. He did. Um... Did you have any involvement with any of the videos using the drift DB5? No, oh, that's but a shame. I
1: do know people who work with the car and said it was one of the coolest things on the entire isn't planet. Isn't an E36 underneath? E46. 46. E, E46 M3 carbon body. Uh, still got the, the drivetrain, so it's it's still got the E46 suspension, um, which you can actually see in some of the shots as well. You can clearly <laughs> see the trailing arms and stuff, uh, and the the fact that it drives the way it does. But actually. Um, uh did a job with Mark Higgins who was one of the lead drivers on that. And Mark um, Mark is incredible and the world's nicest person by oh, the way I need as well.
0: To tap you up some contacts at oh, some point then. The best.
1: And uh saying like that is one of the most fun cars in the entire world. I, I think I don't know if I saw I think it was a top gear online YouTube thing. Where Ollie Marriage is just hoofing it around Long
0: Cross. Well they had Vettel and I can't Stroll. They both drove it. Yeah. And Vettel was like the only one that could hold the yeah, yeah, drift because yeah, yeah. he's an actual proper like good driver for that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. And it just looked like the most fun.
1: I think it's the what you basically got is an M three on skinny tires. Yeah, which is it's ostensibly perfect.
0: Yeah, but, it's like if you took a standard 86 and put 400 horsepower in it, you would just be sideways laughing yeah. your head off the whole time. Yeah, and that's really you know like with the because obviously cars have
1: just got wider and meaner. and Why stickier. don't you put
0: some skinny tires on Joe's M3 and just have a go? Well, uh,
1: <laughs> she's pretty angry every time I go sideways. Anyway, so um, yeah, I think maybe that would not just have to make do that with a uh, But truth be told, though, like. I think it's definitely, uh, like, cars have become
0: faster and grippier
1: and better, but
0: I'm not sure they're any more fun. No, and I think that's why the GR86 sold out in 90 minutes. Because yeah. Because people had a go in a GT86 and went, oh, I wish this had a bit more power. And then mm. Toyota went, here's one with a bit more power. And everyone was like, perfect, perfect. car, there we go. Done. Soul. I enjoy this every single day. Yeah,
1: I, I completely agree. It's it's just like I think what I I might one of my next purchases I think is gonna be something like Japanese Turbo but with like, you know, two T five rear section Or like an S fourteen or something. Like, like, like a JZX
0: or something mm. like that. Because you already have something Japanese and drifty, don't you? I have a A eighty six Corolla, Yeah. Which is Is that fettled with or is it very, sound? very fettled. It's very A night. Yeah.
1: That's, oh. um that's a two hundred horsepower twenty valve absolute ripper of a car I love that thing I
0: imagine that's so much fun oh
1: it's the best it's the best sounding car on the planet
0: um, The <laughs> do you have to have like Eurobeat playing the whole time you drive continually it? but it's in yeah. my head because it's got no radio oh right yeah, all. Okay. Yeah,
1: it's completely stripped out it's like the scene rolled so you're just right? in your head like <laughs> it's constant yeah it's every <laughs> single time you approach a corner you say something in Japanese in your head like with a little bit of an echo sound on yeah, it. yeah and then there's like dum, 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 and, it's... and then
0: there's a lady singing in yeah, English yeah for some reason it's <laughs> the best
1: dave rogers was the guy that wrote a load of the uh, um, initial d music and he is i think he's an italian guy right who just like somehow is now famous in japan for yeah, Mickey yeah. but like he is he is a huge part of like that Smart. guy had
0: no idea that he was gonna be such a big part of automotive culture, did he? <laughs> and yet
1: here he is now basically at the head of it. It just it sets and defines Corolla driving yeah. for no reason at all other than it was in a cartoon.
0: That's it. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah. Like there's a whole culture around what is a normal car yeah. that exists because someone drew it mm-hmm. and went let's have it go sideways and outrun everything yeah this would be so much fun yeah And it'd be I, amazing if some kid that worked in a tofu shop that wasn't into cars and just used to deliver tofu really quickly because his dad would shout at him happened to end up in street race. <laughs> i bought actually when i was in japan i bought uh,
1: the third and fourth season of initial d whilst i was there because i've got one two i actually just started watching them again funnily enough as a as a because i'm just inspired to watch it again because i just really enjoy it it's a really good really really well paced yeah yeah. slightly ridiculous cartoon but it's it's really really good fun um but i i the car itself i i guess i was influenced by initial d but really i think i just love the nature of that corolla because it's an underpowered overgripped underdog
0: and you have to drive it so hard did they it. move to front wheel drive after that one, or was it a couple more before? That then? was that was it. Yeah, yeah. that was it. it was uh, same with like the the Escorts, wasn't it? They went yeah. to front wheel drive and it got a really lot, lot less exciting. Yeah.
1: Which is a shame, but I kind of, I you know, it's is economy, it was, isn't it? It was an economy car, you know, different world. But that car, honestly, is uh, that's the one, one of the cars that will never ever leave the garage. Yeah, it's 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 worth. I bought it at a good time off a mate of mine who's who's an incredible ae 86 builder right and also like amazing driver paz and he um that car was like a, the, like a final form iteration of one of many builds he's done with like and every time he's always improved them and that was that was like the perfect one for me so i've kind of kept it relatively as he
0: had done it yeah because he knows what he's talking about uh, exactly like might as well let that guy do all that work yeah i've had that car for a long time now as well it's been been a wonderful thing.
1: Um, it's like anything. Like the the old the old character cars share just have so much more interest to me now. It's it's funny. Like I I feel like mm. modern cars, as much as they're appealing
0: and they're so fast, that's their only appeal though, isn't it? Mm. There's no passion and character to them like they used to be. Like we'll take our little Renault Five out and have an absolute blast and be doing forty mile an hour. It doesn't really matter how fast you're going because it's got so much character and it's yeah. so much more quirky. And like some of our favourite events to go to now are like Radwood and Fest with the Unexceptional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Haggerty's doing some interesting bits and it's all stuff you don't see, stuff that brings back a load of nostalgia, just stuff with character to it. Yeah. Whereas a lot of stuff now is, it's a grey box with 400 horsepower and you can either have it with a single round badge or four round badges and a variation of that. And that's kind of as much character as you get. Like, it is.
1: Unless you start spending some serious money. I, I genuinely cannot get over how fast modern hatchbacks are. Oh, Golf R is insane. We, 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 I, was on, I was on the Nürburgring in my GT3. And, you know, I was coming up behind this. I forget what it was. It was I think it was a Golf. And we, we, I sort of come around the corner. I had a better corner exit speed than him. And he starts to accelerate and I'm expecting to just kind of go past this guy. And I'm like, uh, uh, excuse me, why am I not going... For-? And this car, I was like, I'm going to have to downshift to get past this car. I was like, what is this thing? And yeah. this was like five years ago. And now, you know, like Fiesta STs and just like it's ridiculously nuts, fast. And me and my
0: dad, were, he had a 996 turbo. Yeah. And we caught up to, I think it was an Astra VXR. Yeah. And the like the timing of what gear we were into... And it took us a minute to be like, oh, we should probably change gear and outrun this thing because it's just not going away. It's just mad how with turbo technology these days. Yeah. You look at a 20-year-old Porsche versus a brand new thing. The the way that a turbo works now is so much better. Yeah. I mean, my old E63 uh,
1: had 700 horsepower and 1,000 newton-meters of torque. Yeah. And, and it was... I just... It was just looked like a diesel. It
0: just looked like a diesel E class, and uh, which is quite a cool. Like I like how understated a lot of Mercedes big power stuff is. Yeah, because you you feel a bit naughty in something like that. you like you don't know what's going to happen next. It was, <laughs> it was everything. It could because it had so
1: much torque. It could just walk away from stuff on the road, like mm. anything. Anything that I I don't think I ever lost a motorway race ever.
0: I know the guy that I mentioned that had the Vulcan. Mm. He had an E sixty three, but Brabus had done it. Ooh. So I think he had it down tuned from like a thousand horsepower. Because <laughs> he was like, I'd be on the motorway in fourth gear and it would just light up. Yeah. It was just unmanageable amount of power. Because he's like, there's only so much tyre that you've yeah, got. totally. At a given point, there's not enough tyre for the amount of power these cars can make. So you mm-hmm. have to have it like turn back down again to, to actually just live with the thing. Yeah, That's a car I desperately miss. The, five,
1: the 5.5 twin turbo E63 sort of like the 2014 car 2015 car yeah, is yeah. one of the best cars on the planet and that's so when they had ride. like a
0: really angular aggressive shape to them as well isn't yeah. it? because they kind of softened off a bit since then that's right the it was the last of
1: the but the facelift one with the good headlights and stuff yeah it was that car honestly i still think is probably one of the best road going like saloon cars ever made like well, that's a without big a question, claim, I, I genuinely do. how good
0: M5s are getting. Yeah, and
1: I, I think for the era, there was almost nothing in the class. Yeah, there was the, the M5 was not at its best at that point. No, and um, the F10 M5 was a little bit of a miss, I think, in terms of the grand scale of M. It was off the
0: back of the V10 as well, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, it's like, and then before the current one, it was yeah. the the transition car really.
1: Mercedes has spent a billion
0: euros. Facelifting
1: that generation of Jeez. W, I think it's W two one two, and it that it showed like it was, it was perfect. The seats were perfect. The engine was perfect. It was so fast and so good on fuel, so understated, so comfortable, so quiet, so reliable. I yeah. did sixty thousand miles in that car, and it didn't put a sausage wrong.
0: Brilliant. brilliant,
1: more really, no, incredible car. Um, went all around Europe in it. Went all the way out to the far east of Europe in it and all the way back, and it's never ever... You must have seen, like, royalty turning up in Eastern Europe in that. Oh, the, <laughs> you were the boy. if You turn up in Poland in one of those. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was such a cool thing. Yeah. But um, that, that car, that was such a short-lift engine. That engine should have carried on a long time. Mass- and then it had to switch to the 4-litre. Was that for all the EU yeah, exactly. yeah, which is such a shame. But, you know, the 4-litre the is still cool, but I heard, you know... I heard a 5.5 G63 the other day just rumble past me. and I was like, that sounds so much cooler than the new one. It's yeah, got yeah. this guttural, sp- like, spit-fiery message. It's just so much kind more of aggressive, bias. isn't it? <laughs> just such a, how they made it sound so good. Because I had the old 6.3 as well. Yeah. But that was an amazing car. But they were NA, weren't they? NA. Yeah. And just, like, nowhere close to as fast. They rode a lot better because of the air suspension all round, but... The, the the 5.5 twin turbo just, if people are looking for one I, I still say that's the one they are with well, just. I had a, just a remap from DMS on it and <laughs> oh my god it, it was a spaceship yeah <laughs> incredible car
0: well we can end on a bit of consumer advice then absolutely there you Perfectly go ton. well it, it's been two hours oh wow yeah, thank you ne- for coming to my TED talk yeah it's nearly <laughs> been it's nearly half 12 so I know that you've got to hit yeah, the road soon be. enough um, but dude thanks so much for coming and chatting and just spinning a yarn, really. It's My been, absolute it's pleasure. pleasure.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry we didn't. I'm well, sorry for everyone knowing that we didn't chat about anything
0: particularly deep, but. but. That's okay. Like, there's no expectation either way. It's some of these we go really into the depth mm. and really look into some stuff. And some of these we just chat shit. I've got one that was like two and a half hours of just brilliant nothing like (laughs) me and a mate were on the way to somewhere and he'd just bought some new microphones and i was like we should just record an episode because he's into his porsches and Mm. stuff like that and we went off on tangent after tangent after tangent of nothingness for two hours and it was great fun i really enjoyed it and that's the thing like this isn't trying to be a professional media outlet i'm not trying to be a journalist i'm just trying to encourage people to talk a bit more Mm. and if these chats are in any way help then they're serving their purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, and then you know,
1: talking to each other. I think for the original point of the the podcast as well. I do, you know, think it's one of the great things is chat to people, talk to people, and you know, the remember the memory that you know, despite all of this kind of lovely stuff, everyone's struggling somewhere. Yeah, and it it really does. You know, it's a nice thing to be able to just like, just just talk and just be happy and talk about things and ultimately like these these conversations just really really help people kind of know that they're not alone with stuff yeah I, I
0: completely agree and, so yeah uh, so thank you so much thank you i will end with where can people find what you're doing uh i'm mostly active on
1: instagram at al clark with navi Um, And that's probably where you'll find me the most. Um, I do have a YouTube channel, which is Outrun, where I keep uploading maybe once every four or five years. Uh, And that's pretty much my, my social media. I do have a couple of other bits and bobs, but that is it.
0: That's fine. Well, thank you so much. And I will stop right there. So that was Al Clark. Many tangents, many little stories, many different paths that we've wandered off down and, as usual, gotten lost in and had to be dragged back to the automotive world. But again, another great chat with a great guy that's doing some awesome stuff within the car world and someone that I quite proudly will call one of my mates. Um, could not speak more highly of Al. Every time I've met him, every time we've hung out, every time we have done anything, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope that that chat and what we're doing here with the podcast is reflecting that. So thank you very much for listening. Anything Tacona related, you know where to check us out, www.tacona.co.uk. This month we have the Do's Coops Cruise coming up in Wimbledon. Um, for those that have not heard of that before, it is a drive from Wimbledon Southside Common down to uh, Goodwood in aid of Anthony Nolan, the charity that help provide uh, stem cell donors with people needing stem cells. They bring these two people together and help improve cancer treatment for people. So it's a very noble cause, a noble charity, and one that's close to the heart with uh, previous podcast guest Louis uh, Louis Martin, who has benefited from this charity directly and continues to really support what they do. So if you've not heard of the Dooscoops Coops Cruise, check that out. We will be going down August 20th. Um, there's a bit of info in some of the posts that we've made and our friend uh, Woody GT has also made, and Louis has made. So, if you're on Instagram, there the places to go for more information on that. And thanks again for listening and making it all the way through to the end. Well done, you.